Ah, hello there. Fancy meeting nice, decent people like you in a place like this. Folks, it is Wednesday, January 31. Last day of January, then we've got one more month of summer. It's been a funny summer, hasn't it? We were predicted a very long, dry, hot one, and it's been humid, moist, lots of rain, a, a, a cyclone. We've had the lot. It's been very strange indeed. I'll give you the national weather details for today, uh, January 31, in just a little while. Uh, in the meantime, let's keep the phones going. Let's keep the conversation rolling along. One triple three five three is the telephone number and nightshift.triplem.com.au if you want to keep those emails coming in. Lots to talk about over the last 24 hours and lots on my mind for this morning. Uh, Once again, I'll be giving away bits and pieces. Some of our very, very treasured sponsors have got stuff that they said, give it away, give stuff away. So um, I have uh, a gadget from Pestrol that'll get rid of mozzies and mosquitoes and flies and that sort of stuff. I've got some Swift Grower to give away. Uh, Thomas has got some Triple M merchandise, T-shirts. Um, and we'll just do that as the uh, morning goes on. And on Friday, call of the week, will win uh, the whole lot. So let's get talking. Let's see what's on your mind. And let's see if we can't encourage some conversation through this morning. Um, the quickie will continue later today and the clue for today's version is on our podcast. So if you want to hear the clue before it goes to where a little bit later this morning, go on to, uh, the night shift pod or well, the, the clip of the night shift podcast on the listener app and you can hear today's clue. But, uh, the important thing is you get the phone number, right? Uh, one triple three, five, three. And if you've never, ever rung before, If you've just stumbled across us, well, this is a program that goes right around Australia and uh, it gives you a chance to to vent and to get things off your chest. And I really do want to hear about what's going on in your neck of the woods. If there's something happening that that, uh, you'd like us to know about, well, join us and let us be the conduit. Let us pass it on to everybody else. If you've got some good news, we love good news, but if there's something that's wrong in the world and you think we can help fix it here, jump on board and let Thomas and myself know what's going on. One triple three five three is the telephone number. Now, later this morning, I'm going to talk to James Ward, who is our motoring expert here on the night shift. He is the content director for drive.com.au, and we talk to him every week, and he's very, very concerned about... 2023, last year, being one of the deadliest years on Australian roads in record. On record. Last year, 2023, was the deadliest on Australia's roads in nearly six years. The road toll reached 1,253, the highest since 1,270 people were killed in the 12 months to March 2018. And the Australian Automobile Association, and upon releasing the data, accused governments of kicking road safety, quote, down the road, after federal and state and territory transport ministers met to discuss their five-year partnership on road infrastructure projects, but failed to make progress on data transparency. And it's this data transparency 
that really frustrates me because when we hear of 1,253 people dying on Australian roads, I think you've got to look very – and I, I can go through the states. I can go through the states. I've got the, the road toll from South Australia in front of me, Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales, the Australian Capital Territory. I've got those figures in front of me. But I need to know, and I think it's important, we need to know the demographics involved. I mean, we need to know, are 18 to 24-year-olds responsible for how many deaths? Um, we need to know 25 to 35-year-olds, where are their responsibility? Are older drivers causing deaths on our roads? You see, we've never had more safer cars travelling on Australian highways and byways, but we've got more cars than ever. So it's reasonable for people like James Ward to say, okay, are we not teaching people to drive properly? Do we have too many young people, too many pea platers, both red and green, driving on our roads, and they really shouldn't be, that they're not qualified? Do we have too many elderly people who aren't being tested and retested more so that we know that they're safe drivers? Do you see what I'm saying? We need to know exactly why we've had more deaths on our roads last year than we have in the previous six years. I'd like to know what you think, because it's, it's a really important topic. One thing that we know is that since COVID, Australian drivers are the angriest they've ever been. There have been more reports of road rage than ever before. And I know we've touched on this on this program, but people screaming at each other, waving their fists at each other, stopping at traffic lights and getting out and kicking cars. And the reported number of road rage incidents is the highest it's ever been. And it seems to have escalated since COVID. So were we all bottled up and were we full of rage? Because there's something else that goes with all of that. And that is the Karen factor. The Karen factor. Remember the, all, the, all the Karen episodes. And a lot of people would say, oh, too bad if your name's Karen. And also uh, Karen, uh, you, you know, is, is, is aimed at badly behaved women. Well, there are plenty of badly behaved men, but the, the whole Karen factor came out of COVID. Women who are angry and cranky and entitled. So road rage incidents up since COVID, the Karen factor coming into play since COVID. So why are we so damned angry? What are we angry at? Why are we so impatient? Why are we so intolerant? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. You might have some thoughts. I'd really love to hear them. One triple three five three. Let me ask you this: Have you ever been the victim of a road rage incident where something happened, and maybe it was your fault, but it was a completely innocent mistake, and someone has cut you off and got out of their car and confronted you? Has it ever, ever happened to you? 
let me know about it. One triple three five three. So, folks, I wish I had the information in front of me that could tell me where this, this, these record number of deaths on Australian roads, 1,253, 2023, up from 1,270 the year before. Why are we having so many accidents and so many deaths and so many uh, uh, cases of road rage and Karenism? I'd like to know what your thoughts are. One triple three five three, And let's just put road rage to one side. Maybe you don't drive. Maybe you survive on public transport and taxis and Ubers like Thomas here. Are people angry off the road as well? Have you encountered angry, outraged people in shops, on footpaths, on public transport? Are we an angry nation when we have so much to be happy about? Look at the neo-Nazi protests on Australia Day and over the Australia Day weekend. These people are angry people. Vile. But why is it happening here in this country? We need to talk about it, and I'd like to know what you think. One triple three five three is the telephone number. Now, here is a story that we have covered many times here on The Night Shift, but it was a tradie that was on the front page of the Daily Telegraph yesterday that's really brought this to the front. Sydney tradies have offered scathing feedback on the industry's next generation of workers, describing them as lazy and not willing to put in the hard yards. Yesterday in the Daily Telegraph, this harsh criticism came amid a concerning drop in young people taking up apprenticeships and traineeships. And it's prompted the Master Builders Association to raise the alarm. They are warning that Australia will not meet its critical housing targets without an urgent boost in the skilled workforce. Well, yeah, tell us something we don't know. The Master Builders Association, of course, is right. And when the Premier of New South Wales, Chris Minns, joined Anthony Albanese's idea of saying, yes, we'll build 75,000 new homes in New South Wales to try and meet the housing shortage and the rental crisis, I surely he knew that that was just BS. It was never going to happen. Those targets were never going to be hit. We all knew that we had a skill shortage. Now the Master Builders Association is raising the alarm by saying that we will never reach any building targets or housing targets because we can't get kids to work. Yesterday in the Daily Telegraph, young Australia was described as lazy and not willing to put in the hard yards. According to the National Centre for Vocational Education Research, the number of young Australians wanting to leave school and get a trade has dropped. It's dropped 5.4% compared to the previous year. In the same 12 months to June last year, more than 18,300 apprentices called, cancelled and withdrew from their courses. Folks, that's an increase of 2.4%. And in the telly yesterday, they spoke to a number of Sydney tradespeople who cited a range of factors. But basically, they highlighted 
the new generation of Australians as being lazy workers. There was a qualified Sydney carpenter, uh, Kieran Howard, 30 years of age, who said he believed there were more apprentices that last for a day or two than actually stay around and finish the trade. We had a kid literally start today for a trial. He lasted until lunchtime and then said he wanted to go home. Some kids just don't want to work hard. He said it's only 30 degrees today and he reckons it's too hot. He started at the beginning of the day and at lunchtime, he said, I can't cope. I cannot cope. I'm quitting. I'm going home. He said, it's a hard industry. It's a hard industry, but you can make money. You could go and work in the mines and earn more by doing less. There was Simon, a 35-year-old electrician who declined to give his last name. He agreed. Young people, he said, are lazy. The new generation of apprentices want easy money. I've had several apprentices quit to go and work in bars or hospitality jobs because the initial pay is better. I've spoken to Graham Wynn about this, our employment expert. Did you know that the website seek.com.au is currently advertising more than 1,700 apprenticeship jobs in Sydney alone. However, a number of Sydney apprentices argue the industry can be very rewarding. There was uh, a bloke called Tempany Halbert, who was a 27-year-old second-year apprentice with Chiswick Plumbing, who said, everyone I know has followed through with their training. It's hard work, but boy, it's rewarding. You have to budget, but I'm able to get by. When I'm qualified, I'll stay with the company. And then I want to start my own business. You see, if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and you do have a work ethic and you're ready to get your hands dirty, as a tradesperson in Australia, you're going to do okay. But it's getting there, isn't it? The pay when you are an apprentice is very, very bad. It's poor. Always has been. But the argument is... We cannot afford to pay apprentices um, a proper day's pay because they're not qualified, but they're learning. They get something, and at the end of it, they get a trade. And anyone else listening to this program right now will tell you how much it costs to hire a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter, and we all know what the weight is. So it's worth it. Why are we hell-bent on sending kids to university. And those kids that aren't academic, that don't want to go to a university, they're not becoming tradies either. They're becoming baristas or barmen or other such jobs where the work isn't so hard. I've got a mate of mine who told me he hired, he advertised and hired a young person who also quit by lunchtime the first day. Went to go and get the lunches and didn't come back. And by the way, took the lunch money. Collected the lunch money, took the lunch orders and never returned. I'm sorry, but that's the lowest of low. If you're going to go take everyone's lunch money, then toddle off. It happened with Adam McDonald when he was working at a uh, an auction place in Sydney. There was a, bloke, a young bloke he nicknamed Tiger. 
And he lasted a week. And he and the, on the, on the Friday he took the lunch money and the lunch orders and never turned back up again. I know. I don't like that. Anyway, one triple three five three was an interesting article in yesterday's Telegraph. We need to fix it, folks. It's a really serious problem. We need to fix it because without apprentices, we don't have a future of tradies. The only other only other alternative is immigration. The only alternative, the only way around it is to import people to do the jobs that Australians don't want to do. So we've got to come up with a, a solution. And I bet you clever people who listen to me every morning, you have an idea. If you are a tradie, what's your experience been with an apprentice? Are, as the article in the Telegraph yesterday says, the Master Builders Association raising this alarm, saying that Australia won't meet its critical housing targets, are young Australians, is the next generation of workers lazy and are they not willing to put in the hard yards? As was quoted by a Sydney tradie yesterday and the, the, the tradie that, that said that is 30, so a millennial. So it's, what is it, Gen Z that's letting the, the team down. One triple three five three. Yesterday we touched on the discussion of conscription. Um, Dr. Alexei Murayev from the Curtin University in Western Australia says that the current conflicts in Eastern Europe and the Middle East could be a spark for nuclear uh, catastrophe and has said on Sky News that we need open confrontation, we need a larger military, we need to look at conscription. Every Australian man, woman, whoever, who turns 18 should do two years national service. Now, have I received some feedback over this? And most of the feedback via my emails agrees. And not just because we need to strengthen our defence force, we need to strengthen our youth. We are in the midst of a huge youth crime problem in Australia, and many people say it's reached epidemic proportions because there are no consequences. You've got young kids committing very serious crimes. They go before a magistrate. They're back out on the street in a couple of hours and they're committing the same crimes the next day and the police have pulled their hair out. They have said they've had enough. They cannot cope with it anymore. And the crime continues. Should there be a three strikes, you're in the army. And if not the general army, a form of the army, a cadetship, where you, where you get your hair cut, where you get up early, you get fit, you learn a trade and you get pride put back in your heart. Should Do we need to conscript young Australian criminals? The feedback, as I say, has been unbelievable. Pages of emails and nearly every single one of you are telling me that conscription for young Australia is needed because young Australians lack discipline. I'm happy to continue that conversation this morning uh, on 13353. Um, we'll try and get hold of some of those people who have emailed over the last 24 hours who have left phone numbers and we'll try and get you on the radio because I want to hear what Australia thinks on all of this. Now, yesterday we talked about Bankwest, another bank that has decided to shut up shop 
and just go digital, just go online. Our banks, folks, we've reached a really interesting point in Australian history where more and more Australians are banking via the internet. The tap and go is the way everybody's doing it. And, and from what I see when I buy my groceries is now usually the people in front of me aren't even getting out their plastic card. They're tapping their phones to pay for their groceries. No one has a checkbook any, anymore. And the face-to-face -face contact you, you have with, with your, the bank teller at your local branch is gone. It's gone. It's over. And Bankwest has joined another long queue of Australian banks that have said, nah, it costs money to man a branch, to pay the rent on the building, to have staff in there where fewer and fewer people are coming in needing our help. Let's just all go online. You know, we pay the banks a lot of money for a service. Do you feel you're getting value for your money from your bank? Do you feel you have a relationship with your bank anymore? Do you, do you feel that there's someone you can ring and say, George or, or Jenny, I've got a problem here. Um, I'm not going to make my mortgage repayment. Can I talk to somebody, somebody who understands my predicament? I'm in sales and I, and I work off commission and it's been a bit quiet. And I, I think I'm going to default on my mortgage. Or I don't think I'm going to be able to pay my rent. Who do you talk to at your bank? I'll, I'm, I'll stick with mortgages because it's usually the bank that owns your house. If you can't walk down to a local branch and say, listen, I need to talk to somebody. I need to talk face to face. I've got a problem. What do you do? If you're a Bank West customer, you've got nobody. Or you ring a hotline. And you push one for this person, two for that person, or three for this person. And then you hope to Christ that you don't get cut off. And while you sit there for hours listening to the worst music ever recorded. By the way, I think, I reckon they do that on purpose. I reckon they do that on purpose. You know when you're on hold to a government agency or a bank. And, they, and, you, and while you're on hold, you're listening to this terrible music. There is a theory out there that the music is, is picked specifically to be terrible so that you hang up. <laughs> That's the theory. I believe that. That is the theory. The theory is that the on-hold music at government agencies and banks is really, really bad music because they eventually just want you to hang up and go away. It's usually elevator music. The girl from Ipanema. I mean, that's the worst music ever, and they don't even play that. It's just this awful awful music or some places don't even have music so you don't know if you've been cut off yeah anyway one triple three five three is the telephone number listen to this a bank teller has saved a couple forty thousand dollars after she noticed they were being scammed erin bug a customer advisor at the national australia bank branch in rosny hobart was asked by the husband and wife to have their account unblocked so they could send money to an online investment firm. The couple were attempting to have the first of two instalments, $40,000, sent to some firm in Perth. The scammers promised a 12% return on their term deposit and a guaranteed payout if the firm was to go bust, both of which sent this bank teller, 
Erin Bug, a customer advisor at the National Australia Bank, it sent him into high alert. Turns out it was a scam. And this bank teller refused to withdraw and to release $40,000 from this couple's account. Now, imagine you're a couple and you say, I want 40000 of my own money and I want to send it here. And the bank person saying, no, I'm not going to do it. You'd be outraged. Well, it turns out that this bank teller saved them $40,000. So well done, Aaron Bug. But does a bank teller have the right to tell you yes or no, you can have your money? Anyway, I, th- there's an example of how face-to-face contact with your bank is a good thing. And it's going, folks. It's going. There's a bank down the road from me, and it's an iconic building. It's on a corner, and it has round, curved corners. It's Anyway, it used to be the Wales Bank. You wouldn't remember this, Thomas, but the, the, the slogan used to be, you can bank on the Wales. The Wales Bank, the Bank of New South Wales, went on to become Westpac. But anyway, it was a bank. It was my first ever bank when I got my first job. And I knew the people and I knew the faces. One of the ladies who was the teller, she was the mother of a bloke I went to school with. And she lived up the road and she knew me. It's now a gym. It's now a gym. And there's no bank there. And you've got to travel miles now for me to go to a branch. If I still was with them, I'm not anymore. If I still was with them, to, to go and, and talk to somebody face to face. It's all online. It's all over the phone now. Anyway, one triple three five three is the telephone number. Um, New South Wales Fair Trading has launched an investigation into whether claims made by a cancer charity breached the law. After revelations, the foundation passed on 23 cents in every dollar raised, despite claiming 100% of all donations. This is really interesting. Uh, This investigation was held by the Sydney Morning Herald. And it revealed the Kids with Cancer Foundation dispersed just $12.8 million of the $55.8 million it had collected through fundraising since 2015, with just 9% of the revenue derived from contributions directly paid to families and hospitals. The Kids with Cancer Foundation was established in 1998 by founder, chairman and executive director Peter Bobman. Its website says... It has helped more than 2,750 families and provided hospitals with $27 million funding and 186 clinical positions. But this figure isn't even half of the $55.8 million the foundation has raised through charitable revenue streams. Here is the thing, and this has bothered me for a long, long time. When you donate money to a charity... How much of that money goes directly to the coalface of the, of the charitable uh, pledge that you, you believe you're making? How do you know how much the charity you donate to, how do you know how much they spend on administration, wages, cars, meals, staff? Some charities, folks, you would be surprised to learn they only donate 18 to 20 cents of a dollar 
to the actual cause that you think you're fighting. The rest goes on administration. And if you look it up, it's very, very hard to find where the breakdown of your donation is. So if you give $1 to a particular charity, $1, 20 cents of that may go directly to the charity and to the cause that you're trying to champion. The rest will go on administrative costs. Wages. Wages with some of these charities, astronomical, astronomical. Guide Dogs Association, very good cause. But the CEO of Guide Dogs Association, last time I could look it up, was on about $250,000 a year. Now, in order for a charity to run professionally, I get it. You've got to have professionals running it. But I just think it's got to be more transparable. It's got to be more transparent. Anyway, interesting to hear, reading the Sydney Morning Herald yesterday, that the Kids Cancer Charity, Kids with Cancer Foundation, were passing on massive amounts of the donations they received into administration. I want to talk more about this. Uh, Martin Shaw, who I was hoping to talk to tonight, I can't get through. I'm going to try and talk to him this week. Martin is the president of Wounded Heroes, And that's a charity that I am an ambassador for. 100%, 100% of money that goes to wounded heroes goes directly to those people you think you're helping. Martin Shaw, the president, doesn't get paid a cent. In fact, he's out of pocket, usually. And that's, to me, a real charity. Now, I'm not saying these big charities don't do great things, but I just think that you, as the person donating, need to know exactly how your money's being spent. And I think there needs to be a fair, I, I don't know, fair trading. I don't know. There, there needs to be an inquiry into this. And I think that when these charities are at work, handing out little gifts down at your shopping centre with bright, vibrant young people wearing bright, vibrant T-shirts, skipping up to you, hi, how are you, with their hand outstretched, because that's the way they're trained to do it. They, they're trained to get eye contact and physical contact with you straight away, and, um, and then they ask you for a donation. Those people at those shopping centres are usually on about 80% of your donation in wages. They don't do it for free. Don't think for one moment they're volunteers. Most of them are doing it. It's a part-time job. I just think that it needs to be transparency. One triple three five three is the telephone number. There was something else I wanted to talk about. I think I've lost the story, Thomas. If you can help me here, um, there was a story out of Italy. Are you forever sick? I got it. I found it. Are you forever sick of standing in someone else's dog poo, and scraping it off your shoe, and going, well, "Jesus, where's the bloody owner?" How come that dog was allowed to shit right there? They've got an idea in an Italian province, and I love this. Dog owners in Bolanzo City in Italy. It's in the picturesque Dolomites region. What the local government has done is they have set up a database for almost 40,000 dogs in their area. Around 10,000 have already been registered. And once up and running, it means that if there's 
an abandoned pile of poo somewhere. Well, how what, how else would you describe it? Don't laugh at me. Maybe a plop. A, what is the collective noun for poo? <sighs> Let me find out. Can you look it up for me quickly? Tell me. Anyway, if there's an abandoned piece of poo in a park somewhere, on a footpath, wherever, the council worker can take a sample, quickly run it through a machine using DNA, and they can track that poo to the owner. How good is this? It's pretty amazing. And then they send the owner a fine in the mail. It's, it's as simple as that. Isn't that a good idea? I think so. I think that should be here. I reckon we should do it here as well. And I think it would stop people from leaving it behind. Is it going to cost? Is it going to cost ratepayers money? Anyway, what do you reckon, folks? Should DNA registration become compulsory in Australia? Should owners be expected to have blood tests for their dogs in municipal dog shelters or vet clinics? Would the cost of implementing these tests turn around and come back from fines? Would it encourage dog owners to be more responsible? I reckon it would. If you, if you saw your dog taking a shit and, and decided to ignore it, I don't reckon you would if you thought the council could come along, take a scoop, take, take a sample. Yes. And then trace that poo to your dog and you get and you get a fine and you have to go to court and fight it. You know what would be the next best level up? Mm-hmm. Security drone pigeons watching you as you let oh, your Thomas, dog do that. Thomas, shut up. Jesus. Usually he comes up with something decent. I don't know what he's on. He's had too much coffee, I think. Way too much coffee before the program. Pigeons with cameras. You're an ideas man, Thomas. One triple three five three. What do you make of this idea that comes from an Italian province ordering DNA tests for all dogs to trace and find their owners? It's called the Big Italian Poo Crackdown. And uh, it's a great story. And it's a true story. One triple three five three is the telephone number. Uh, look, there's plenty of other stuff I want to talk about. Godfrey's vacuum cleaners. How sad is this? Yesterday, we were going, yay, Sarah Lee desserts back on the table. They've been saved. And then here today, you've got this iconic retail chain, vacuum chain, Godfrey's entering voluntary administration. They were established in 1931. Godfrey's evolved to become one of the world's biggest vacuum cleaner retailers. They operated from more than 141 stores across Australia. They employed more than 600 people across Australia and New Zealand. And yesterday afternoon, Godfrey's announced it had entered voluntary administration. And they appointed PricewaterhouseCoopers to oversee the process. Why? Why? I bought, I have bought two vacuum cleaners from Godfrey's in my life and they were good. They were, they weren't expensive. They weren't expensive, but they did the job. Most people I know, there's a bit of snobbery with vacuum cleaners now, Thomas. I don't know whether you know this. I don't know who owns the vacuum cleaner in your household. Who owns it? Well, my just, ha- it just say someone else or me. 
someone else. Okay, it's one. Of, it's one of your tenants. Yes. Okay, so when you leave, you're gonna to have to get a vacuum cleaner. If you, you know, you are. It really sucks it out of you. It does. Um, Godfrey's sold middle of the road, lower to middle of the road priced vacuum cleaners, but they worked. But most people I know have a Dyson, and Dyson are seriously expensive, but they're apparently very, very good, and they're all cordless now. And Dyson sort of led the way on cordless vacuum, so you don't have to pull around and plug in and. You know, the the uh, the cordless vacuum cleaner is is uh, the way to go now, and Dyson seems to have the market cornered, and yet it is so expensive. So what went wrong with Godfrey's? Anyway, we'll talk about that with Shane Oliver from AMP uh, a little bit later on as well. But it it any, sucks, doesn't it? It does. Well, did you ever have any of those heavy duty vacuums? Mm. Well, there was a Hoover. They, they were called Henry's. Well, there they had was face on them. Well, before that, there was Hoover. Yeah. And every vacuum cleaner in an Australian household you, at one point was a Hoover. In fact, it was so popular, um, the, the brand name became the word for vacuuming. You didn't vacuum your house, you hoovered it. They're indestructible. I love them. The old-fashioned Hoover, the upright. What happened to Hoover? What happened to Hoover? But anyway, Godfrey's has, has gone. So... Yesterday, it was hooray for Sarah Lee, and today, Godfrey's gone to God. Well, the Price Waterhouse, very, very sad. One triple three. Hey, tell me, what was the first vacuum cleaner you ever owned? Was it the Hoover? And was it, was, it, was it a good thing? Do you know what, Thomas? Back in the day, there was a fleet of Australian men, mostly men, some women, but mostly men, who made their living out of selling vacuum cleaners door to door. And they would have their package, they'd have their heavy machine, they'd knock on the door, they'd have a little packet of dirt, and they would pour it onto a piece of test carpet and explain to housewives, because the people at home were housewives. Yes. This is back post-World War II, just post-World War II. And they would demonstrate, and they sold vacuum cleaners door to door those days. And they also used to sell encyclopedias door to door. They'd be quite heavy. They were very, very heavy, but people made a living out of it. Anyway, there you are. Um, look, plenty going on in the in the world. I want to know what's going on at your place. Jump on board and have your say. This is your opportunity to talk to the rest of Australia and the rest of the world. One triple three five three. The quickie coming up a little bit later on. Motoring with James Ward. Finance with Shane Oliver. Employment issues with Graham Wynn. God, when are we going to have time to play some of the best rock ever recorded? Right now, you're listening to The Night Shift around Australia and around the world on the Triple M Network, independent stations everywhere, and we are streaming live as we speak on the Lister app. So there's a fair bit to get through this morning. Had a very interesting call yesterday, if you remember, from a gentleman who has been in the Army for 20 years, and he had some very strong thoughts on on whether or not conscription would be a good idea and would conscription be the way to help solve juvenile crime in this country? You may have some thoughts. We need to talk about it. And are young Australians lazy? That was a message coming through an article in the uh, Daily Telegraph yesterday. And the headline was, Trades are too lazy. Gen workers are lazy. Sydney's tradies 
as worker shortage concerns grow. A very interesting article that was prompted by a statement coming through the Master Builders Association. They've raised the alarm. They say Australia won't be able to build critical housing because we just don't have people to do it. Young Australians don't want to become apprentices. Why? You may have some thoughts. One triple three five three. Hey, look, if it's green and it grows, you're going to love this Swift Grow. Everyone's enjoying it. It's the amazing all organic fertilizer. Australians are raving about it. This is Pat who rang me last week. But I put some on my lawn, Luke, in a certain spot. Yep. And a couple of weeks later, when my lawnmower man came and said, What's happened to your lawn? Mm. He said, What? Well, I said, Why? He said, Because it's, it's grown really well here and it's short over there. So there you go. So I, my, my petunias had grown at least six inches, you know, in, in about a week and a half. And as I said to Thomas, if I hadn't had that mm. and finished myself, uh, so anybody who's, who's doubting that it doesn't work, it surely does. There you are. That's all about Swift Grow. And that is Pat who rang me last week. Here is the launch of this fantastic deal. It's their best deal ever. It's one five-litre bottle of Swift Grow, which will go for so long, just 120 bucks, and it includes free delivery anywhere in Australia. Order online. Montana will look after you. Just leave your details, and she will get back to you, or leave a message. Swiftgrow.com.au. My God, it's good stuff. We'll take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll see if we can't solve some of the world's problems here on The Night Shift in just a sec. Yeah, caller of the week. It's only a couple of days away, and are we giving away prizes? We are giving away a stack of prizes from Pestrol, from Swift Grow. Um, Aussie hoses. We'll give away another Aussie hose, I think, on Friday. And we'll give away um, a Triple M T-shirt uh, as well. And we'll give away stuff just willy-nilly throughout the week and, and this morning. So jump on board and say good day, contribute, and let's create some conversation. Chris, Good morning. Good morning, Luke. How are you, mate? I'm very, very good. Chris, are you a tradie? Mate, I am a tradesman by trade, and I manage about 30 other trades. Oh, that bloke's under me. You are just who I want to talk to. This story in yesterday's Daily Telegraph uh, saying quite outright that the trades today are too hard for lazy Gen Z workers. And there was one bloke who said that they hired a young bloke starting 7 o'clock one morning. By lunchtime, he wanted to go home and quit. He said it was too hot and too hard. What are your thoughts, please? Mate, firstly, I I actually envy that bloke because he actually showed up to work. Uh, mate, I've employed several apprentices. Um, I've been a manager now for about seven years. Uh, been in the industry, plumbing industry now for 17 of those. Mate, uh, probably one of the biggest bane of our or pains in our business. Uh, across multiple trades, um, mm. you know, when I was apprentice, my you know dad said get out, get a trade, or go to the army. That was my two options. Mm. Um, you know, I did my hard time, and you know, back then it definitely wasn't the pay rates we're getting these days. And you know, it's you come to reap the rewards. It's, the pay rates. Do you think it's all about the pay, or is it about the physical work? I'm giving you a third option to think about here, Chris, because you're the expert. Is it parents pushing kids towards university, believing that a tradey thing, it's a snob thing? 
Mate, I think uh, we'll start on the third thing with the parents. I think the parents aren't pushing them hard enough. The parents and, you know, school these days, you know, I've got two young kids myself. They're, they're more or less giving the kids and telling them, you know, you, you, you do you. You chase what you want to do. You know, and some of these kids, like some of the jobs you're hearing these days, you know, they all want to be YouTubers and social medias and, you know, they all want the $200,000 jobs then and there. And it just they, it just doesn't work that way in this day and age. It never has. And the latest thing is, oh, I want to, I want to, I want to own a startup company. What's a startup company? What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> you, you and me both. <laughs> it's... You want to start a company, mate, you, you start yourself in my world and, you know, you work hard for it. You know, you you work for yourself for three, four years before you even turn a profit. But what these start companies are, mate, who knows? It's internet. It's all to do with the internet. They they all want to work from a computer. 100%, mate. And drive a BMW and, in the first year. Oh, mate, absolutely. Absolutely. And the construction industry abroad is a perfect example, mate. As I said... I've employed a few apprentices that haven't even shown up day one. Day one, mate. I can't even get them to show up to work. But they've they've uh, applied for the job. You said, yep, we'll give you a start. Turn up at this address, 7 o'clock on Monday, and they don't turn up. 100%, mate. But and you call them, you call them, you call them. We think, you know, being employees, we've got a duty of care. We ring the next to kin, their mum or dad. They answer, hey, I'm chasing, you know, Joey, where is he? Yeah, he hasn't shown up to work. Oh, he's in bed. Well... <laughs> You know, like he's meant to be at work, but we've offered him a job. And do you say to the parents, he uh, he accepted the job, I've offered him a job, he's supposed to be here. What do the parents say? Look, for the most part, the most the, most parents are disappointed, but I've had some parents that I call one kid's parents and was like, you know, he hasn't even rocked up. Is he okay? Is he alive? Like, what's going on? And they said, I didn't want to show up, so he didn't. And I was like, well, you're setting a perfect example of your kid then, aren't There's you? no like, way my dad would have done that. If I'd said, yes, dad, I'm starting as a tradie. I, 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 between year 10 and year 11, I was a builder's labourer. And I've got to tell you, I did, I did it for five weeks. I did it for the Christmas holidays between 1977 and 1978 because I wanted to leave school. And dad said, you want to leave school, get a job. And I thought, no, I want the money. I want to. I want to get a car quickly. And I said, I'm going to be a builder's labourer. And I dug the foundations for this bloke's house in in bloody granite and sandstone. Guess what? I went back to school. <laughs> <laughs> I went back for year eleven. I went back for year eleven. Chris, stay there. You're just the bloke I want to talk to. I've got Matthew online. He's uh, in Victoria. Uh, Matthew, good day. Hey, how you going? I'm good. I got Chris on the other line. Matthew, yep. tell us your story. Uh, so I started uh, doing my bricklaying apprenticeship at 16. Yeah. How old are um, you now? I'm uh, 27 now. Okay. Um, I finished my apprenticeship. It took nearly a year and a half longer than it should have because they refused to sign me off. They refused to let me go to TAFE. I was getting 380 a week and living in a share, like share house, like a room, and I had to concrete on the weekends just to afford to pay my rent. Um. I don't think it's that people aren't willing to do it. I think that it's actually not possible for them to do it. Because of the money? Well, what can you do? Like Chris? It's... Mate, look, I, as I said, I'm in the plumbing trade. Um, I'm not too sure about concreters and all that sort of stuff, but I know for a fact a first-year plumber with allowances, just a minimum wage is on $26 an hour. 
That's without overtime. Oh, then I can't really speak of that trade, can I? Because that, that should be fine. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, $26 an hour is not bad for your first well, job. it's the same as what you'd get in the factory. Yeah, but at the end of it, you come out as a qualified plumber and look what plumbers, look what plumbers charge today. Yep. So, I, I mean, I guess it's different compared to industries. But you are a bricklayer, and how much yep. an hour were you on? Uh, at the end, or yeah, at the beginning when you when you were finding oh, at the beginning, um, six eighty, six dollars eighty an hour. And what do you mean they wouldn't release you? Uh, so normally you go through uh, like a trade school, a chis- I went for Chisholm. Um, pretty much it would always be phone calls. Oh no, I really need you on site. Nah, you can't go into school. So I ended up being a year and a half behind on my school work. Yeah. Like my do, you feel, do you feel right. you were being exploited? Oh, yeah, but I, that's the thing. Like, Sorry, I did forget your name on the other line. Um, you might be a really good boss, but I feel like there's a lot out there that aren't. Matthew's suggesting, Chris, that not everyone's a good boss like you and some bosses are exploiting their younger workers. Look, 100%, and it does happen in every industry and every trade, you know, like there are apprentices and apprentices have to meet a training plan. That's what we sign up to with the apprenticeships board, and it's up to us as employees or employers to provide that apprentice the time, and it's all paid to go to trade school. Um, if they don't do it, well, you know, you're only missing out, you know, on, on a new tradesman. I wonder how many bosses are prosecuted for exploitation. Not enough, in my opinion. So there are crooked bosses out there, and that needs to be fixed up. Because we need somehow, Chris and Matthew, to encourage young Australians to become apprentices and tradies. Because we have a housing shortage, we have a rental crisis, we need to build more properties, and we're just not able to do it with the current, uh, the current staff that we have. We just can't 100%. do it. We just can't do it. We have a skills shortage. And I worry that we're going to be a nation full of Gen Zers who are going to come out of university with university degrees that are going to be useless, and they're going to come out of these uh, universities with useless degrees with a hex debt. And you become an apprentice, you, even though the pay is shit, you still are getting paid as you learn a very valuable trade. Matthew, what do you do now? Well, that's the thing. I work in a glass factory now. Uh, night shift. I've got kids now. I've got, you know, mm. it's um, if it, not like a full-time uh, fully qualified bricklayer does get decent money, but uh, the other issue I find in most at least um, non-commercial sites, like most domestic sites, is uh, just the amount of drugs and just shit that goes on. Like, it's just like I can't involve myself in that. Okay. So you, you, uh, you work night shift now. And how many kids you got? Uh, got two and well, another one coming, but probably right. shouldn't say that yet. Well, yeah. I wish you all the best, Matthew. Thanks for calling up. Well, there you go, Chris. I mean, that, that's got to be addressed, hasn't it? Exploitation from bosses. 100%, mate. Yeah. 100%. But, and I've, I've even myself employed apprentices from other businesses based on that, you know, like bosses not allowing them to go to trade school or haven't even signed them up for trade school in some cases. Yeah, that's wrong. So that there needs to be an inquiry into all of this. And I don't know if bosses can afford to pay more wages. I mean, you, you as a boss employing a first-year apprentice plumber, they're on $26 an hour. Is that correct? Correct. 
And at the end of it, how long, how many years does it take to become a fully qualified plumber? So three, three years in, ta- in trade school and then a fourth uh, year sign-off. So you've got three years in trade school and then you've got 12 months to be signed off. You can be signed off in, in that 12-month period, whether it's the first day or the last day of that 12-month period. Um, and then you're a fully qualified uh, licensed tradesman. Um, most of my licensed tradesmen are on about 64 an hour. How much a, how much a year? Uh, works out, I think it's around 118000 Okay, there you are. So that that's without overtime. That's mm. you know they're all got company vehicles, toll, fuel card. Like mm. I know a lot of people sit there and say you know trades are on a lot of money, but it's the overheads that kill us. And having apprentices is a godsend because it offsets our costs slightly because we're still charging the same mm. with an apprentice on site. But if you don't have apprentices, you can't offset your overheads. Chris, thank you so much for your call. You're in the draw for caller of the week for sure. And, um, thank you very much. And, and I've enjoyed your company, and thank you for educating us. Appreciate it. Good luck. Hey, Good luck. Up great work. Thank you, Chris. There you are. One triple three five three is the telephone number. What do you make of that? I mean, Chris started off by saying, yes, he believes. He said that that tradie that uh, was quoted in the Daily Telegraph during the week, that tradie that said um, they believe that the new generation of Australians are lazy, Qualified Sydney carpenter uh, Sian Howard said he believed there were more apprentices that last for a day or two than actually stay around and finish the job. We had a kid literally start today for a trial. He lasted until lunchtime and wanted to quit and go home. Some kids just don't want to work hard anymore, he said. It's only 30 degrees and he reckons it's too hot, Mr. Howard said. And then you just heard Chris had people ready to start. They don't turn up. He rings home, speaks to mum. Oh, he's in bed. He decided today he didn't want to come in. What do you do? How do you combat that? One triple three five three is the telephone number. Let's talk about it. We need to talk about it. We need to fix this because we're in deep shit. Nothing's going to get built in this country. Um, the only way things will get built is if we um, open the doors to immigration even further. Even further. It's the, only other, it's the only alternative. I'm sure you've heard the buzz about Nature Bee Power Pollen and how thousands of Aussies now start their day with more energy and better overall health and well-being. Thanks to Power Pollen's potent pack of micronutrients. It really is a superfood. And here is your chance to give it a go. Nature Bee are saying, okay, if you're a new customer, you're going to get a week for free. First week of Nature Bee for free. Go to powerpollen.com.au and have a look at the deal. There are all sorts of other products available there. But if you want the week for free deal, use the code 10OFF, it's the number 10, then O-double-F, and go to powerpollen.com.au. Money back guarantee. Give it a go. We'll take a break. Be back. What was your first ever vacuum cleaner? Did you inherit your mum's? It's a sexist thing for me to say, isn't it? How come I didn't say, did you inherit your dad's? Well, see, I come from an age, Thomas, where it was your mum's vacuum cleaner. But everyone in our house, you had jobs to do and everyone used the vacuum cleaner. And um, when mum and dad finally got a new vacuum cleaner, uh, I did get their old one and it was an upright Hoover. 
and it had a little button that you pushed with your foot so that it could come down and vacuum horizontally under your bed. But it was very, very loud. It had a huge bag down the back of it, and it was heavy. But by Christ, it worked. And they lasted forever. Now, if your vacuum cleaner breaks, you chuck it out, put it on council cleanup, and you go and get another one. Same with your television. Same with your television. But they were the days, the old Hoover. And uh, the reason I'm going down this memory lane today is Godfrey's is gone. They've gone into voluntary administration. It's all over. They've been around for a long, long time, Godfrey. And it's all over. One triple three five three. We'll talk more about that this morning. If you'd like to jump on board, give us a call. Lovely to talk to you. Damien's online. G'day, Damien. G'day, Lukey. How are you? Damien, you sound full of beans this morning. I'm always full of beans at this time of the morning, Lukey. This is my morning. <laughs> what do you do? Uh, I'm a baker, mate. Okay. Can I ask you, how long have you been a baker? I've been a baker now for 20, how old am I, 44, so 24, 25, 26 years. And you're a qualified baker, so you had to do an apprenticeship? Absolutely. How did it work and how is it working today? Take me through it, I'm listening. Right, right. so in the baking industry, the apprenticeship sort of haven't changed much. We, uh, we still do a four-year apprenticeship, so... Usually it's a combined baker slash pastry cook. So yes. You, you do your pies and whatever else. Yep. And uh, we uh, we sort of go through your four years. It's, uh, three lots of two-week blocks at trade school uh, every mm. week. Mm. I believe that last caller said that, you know, there's some people that don't send their kids to trade school. Yeah, well, there was, there was there, I had two calls. And one, the young bloke there who's now in the glass business, he said that, when he was doing bricklaying, he would try and go off to TAFE as he was supposed to do, and his boss would say, no, 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 we need you on site. So he didn't finish his apprenticeship for a year and a half. He did it a year and a half late because his boss was exploiting him. Yep, that's right. So what they've done now, Luke, is you're, you're, you've got a four-year contract. Yes. So these, our baker, our young kids here have got to have all their schooling done within those four years. If not... They don't get their they don't get their certificate. So it comes are back. there some bosses out there that do exploit young workers? Absolutely, Luke. Absolutely, in our industry, absolutely, and that's why you know we're at the we aren't at the top end. We're definitely right down the bottom. These kids have got to get out of bed at, at, at stupid hours. They lose all their social life. Mm. Um, it's very hard for to get some young young bakers to be keen to to get in here in, in the middle of the night and, mm. and make bread and. And do the things you've got to have some. You've got to have some very keen boys and girls. That's for sure. So, uh, is it a physical job? Have you got to carry heavy bags of flour? Um, is it is being a baker a baker a man's job, or can women do it as well? What we've done in the trade is we've swapped the uh, flour bags from twenty five kilos down to twelve and a half kilos. Simple reason for the female patent mm. in our in our bakeries now. Mm. Um, but in saying that, Lukey, you know, we're moving, you might be moving 20, 30 bags of flour and all heavy bread tins and trays and pie tins and, you know, mixing bowls and things like that. So there's nothing really light here, that's for sure. Okay, so um, you've got to be fairly strong. Is yeah. The apprentices that you take on as a baker, are they mostly boys? Yes, I've, my, two, my two are boys. I've had a uh, female... 
in the past. I've, I've had about, oh, I've trained about 15 apprentices now, Lukey, and actually five of them have all gone on to buy their own bakery. So That must be really um, rewarding for you. Oh, there's nothing better, you know, and I still get phone calls and I go visit them at their bakeries in around the, around the little countryside here and, uh, uh, yeah, no, it's bloody fantastic, mate. I can't, I can't. So I had one, one female here and she uh, she actually won the apprentice of the Apprentice of the Victoria and went off for the state championships. So, oh wow! Yeah, she was she was fantastic. Actually, now she believe it or not, she's now a real estate agent. Ah. <laughs> so yeah, she had all the time in the world. But uh, again, mate, it's it's just the hours aren't friendly for us. They really aren't. Lucas. Oh, I know. I I can't imagine how difficult it must be to encourage a sixteen or seventeen year old. Yeah. To uh, who, who's discovering girls. Or, 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 or she's a girl discovering discovering romance, and her, their friends are going out and yep. and going on the drink and, and going to nightclubs and doing whatever they do, and your young apprentices have got to get into work at what time? At midnight they start. Midnight start. Finish at when? And they finish about half past seven, eight o'clock. Half past seven, eight o'clock. They're exhausted. Yep. They're going to try and sleep during the day, like Thomas and I do. Absolutely. Which is hard. It is. And then be ready to come back in at midnight the next night. Uh, it takes a very special kid to be a successful and got, baker. And I've got two very special kids. Don't you worry about that. Well, uh, aren't you lucky that you found them? Oh, mate, I, 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 I should buy a catch lottery ticket every day for them. I really should. They, uh, they're here. They're, there's no questions asked. I ask them to be here at certain times or work an extra you know, they have weekends off, Luki. I do, I do Saturday. We're shut on a Sunday. Mm. So they, they get weekends off. Um, I also look after them a fair bit with their, with their pays and that. And you know, I give them, you know, we go, we go away to the baking shows and I take them all the way with me. And, you know, I shout on the hotel room and free piss all weekend and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, so you try. Um, I look after it them, sounds to me, them. it sounds to me, Damo, that your setup is like a family. Oh, absolutely, mate. Absolutely, and I and I treat the boys as I tell them they're my boys, they're my kids. Simple as that. And uh, how long you know, do you think you? How long do you think you'll have them until they move on? And that's up to them, Lukey. I don't. I don't. You know, it, it, these they they got to go experience the world. There's there's only so much I can teach them. Um, you know, as much as I I think I I teach them the majority of everything. There's always a different angle and perspective at different bakeries, so I like them to go and uh, experience a different place, and that's why I also got a lot of connections. So I, I send them off for a week at a different bakery to spend a week at a different bakery just to experience yeah, that. Wow, what a great boss! Yeah, look, we um, we try to we try to look after them as much as we can, mate. We really do. Just do to- you think that most Gen Zers are lazy? Yeah, absolutely. You do. Absolutely. Now, on the flip side, if I go out to the front of my shop and go to juniors with the girls and boys, young boys out here in the shop, it's a total, total flip side, mate, total flip side. They'll drag their feet in at one minute before their shift. Uh, you know, it's just they'll call in sick. I've got a party this weekend. It's, yeah, total flip side out the front here. That's for sure. The, the, so I'm experiencing both worlds. Isn't that interesting? Out the front of the shop? You know, with the people who are actually selling the goods and uh, working the cash registers, different world. But the people that uh, Damo's got in the back of the shop, 
doing the heavy lifting, um, he's been very, very lucky. And it sounds to me Damo is a great boss. Well done, Damien. It's been lovely to meet you. Would you like a Triple M T-shirt? I love a Triple M T-shirt, Lukey. So, it, it, listen, we don't have white ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We, we, we wear black here anyway at our bakery. All right. I'll send you a Triple M T-shirt. How, how many? Yeah. There's you and two boys, are there? Me and two boys, mate. Okay. We'll send you three. Oh, you're a bloody legend, Lukey. We'll send you three Triple M T-shirts, okay? And, All right. And, we're, and let me give your bakery a plug. Where are you? We're in Cobram, Victoria. So we're right on the border, right in the middle of the border of um, Victoria and New South Wales, about an hour from, and, uh, about an hour away from Albury, Wodonga, um, on the Murray River. Are you open now? We 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 have customers come and start coming in here about four o'clock. But yes, our back door is always open for a cup of coffee and some hot bread. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, straight out of the oven. oven. How good? How good is bread straight out of the oven? You can't you can't beat the Luke. Oh. the aroma and the smell is unbelievable, mate. It really, really is. How so, many pi- how many yeah. pies do you do? Oh, we do. Give me a, take, take me through. Well, how many different flavours? Yeah. Uh, we do oh, we do about 30 different flavours, mate. So we've got chicken, avocado and brie. We've got barbecue meat lovers. You know, we've got your pepper. We actually won the Australian title for the chicken pie this year with our banana chicken curry pie. Um, what? Yeah. Who comes up with who comes up with these recipes? Oh look, we, we just we just play around here and there and we've got a few reps that come in and give us a, a few ideas and whatever else. Who's uh, also, who's Mr. Creative with when it comes to your pie fillings? Oh, a whole lot of us. I'll let the apprentices go wild. They they come up with their own apprentice section pies. So they've got to come up with their own flavours. How good that. is this bloke, folks? Wouldn't wouldn't you love to work for Damo? Wouldn't you love to work for Damien? What's the name of the, the, the bakery? All right, here we go. It's Hungy Fangs Bakery in Cobram. What? Hungy Fangs is H- in Hungy, is H- in the underground Hungy, H-U-N-G-I-E. H-U-N-G-I-E. Yeah. Yep. And then Fangs, F-A-N-G-S. I've got it. Hungy Just a bit Fangs of play on word. Artesian Bakery. That's it, mate. <laughs> That's us. 12 William Street, Cobram, 3644. Yep. 03 Yep. And uh, go and get a pie. What's your biggest selling pie? Oh, our biggest one is probably our pepper pie, mate. It's our most, most, most popular one. I'll and tell you d- what, though, this banana chicken curry. No, I can't come with that. Them. It's not my go. But my oh, miss. Oh, come on, Luke. You don't know. You've got to get going. Not no. that no, Thomas would do that. Thomas would do that. No, I, yeah. I, 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 I like that. Do you make your own gravy? Yeah, absolutely. Everything's from scratch in our bakery. And oh. like, we make a beautiful chicken Kiev sausage roll too. It's, it's, it's oh, what? Yeah, yeah, Luke. Yeah, yeah I'll, have to, I'll, I'll have to organise to send you something one day. Yeah, I've heard that before from the Kira Bakery. Oh, so- no, we send stuff all the time up to Sydney for the uh, bacon shows, that, mate. So I, I well, I like, I like a time. normal meat pie with rich gravy. Yep, I'm hearing you. Okay. I'm the same, Ricky. Hungry Fangs Artesian Bakery, Cobram. Yep. And you're a restaurant as well. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we do all that. We're, we're sort of more of a traditional bakery rather than a restaurant, so... 
but yeah, we 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 dabbled in that a little bit, but we we sort of stopped that bit. We're just we're just a normal traditional bakery now. So. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. No th- worries, th- thank you. Thank you so much for your time, and please call hey, back. Lukey, yeah, last bakers have been listening to you for five years here too. It's the first time I've called, and once you said about apprentices, I had to call tonight. So right, now, now keep the, up the good work, Damo. Now you're part of the night shift family. What's the name of your boys out the back there? Uh, Declan and Jake. Hey! G'day, boys. Hello, Okay. Right, Stay no there, worries, mate. Stay there. Thomas no is going to get your details. We'll, we'll send you some T-shirts, okay? Thanks for the chat, bud. See you, mate. Thanks for the chat. Thank you for the chat. Wouldn't you love, wouldn't you love to work for Damo? He sounds fantastic. He sounds bloody brilliant. I love his energy. And he's, he's, he's an award-winning bakery, and he lets his apprentices, he says to his apprentices, okay, you come up with something. Come on, have a crack. Isn't that, doesn't that sound like the best boss ever? Oh, wow. One, triple, three, five. Wouldn't you be lucky to meet Damien in your first job out of school and that being a baker is really, really hard. It can get very hard. It's hot in there and you've got to start at midnight. You finish 7.30 in the morning and uh, it can be very, very demanding. But obviously, you work for someone like Damo, it can be very, very rewarding as well. The Night Shift on Triple M. Blind Melon here on The Night Shift. I was um, listening to some music at the Man Cave on the weekend, and um, you know how these music streaming services sort of pick your taste in music and and they have an algorithm. Anyway, um, Rocky Mountain High from Joe Walsh came up on rotation and I hadn't heard it in ages and I loved it and I thought I've written it down I'm going to play it this morning haven't heard it for ages and ages Rocky Mountain High Joe Walsh coming up later this morning here on the night shift one triple three five three listen if you're like me and you can't stand the pesky summer invaders the flies and the mozzies have we got something for you we recently discovered this game changer it is the executioner and it comes from Pestrol, P-E-S-T-R-O-L. Folks, this is the bad boy, the big daddy of fly and mosquito exterminators. And let me tell you, it's a game changer. It doesn't just repel them, it annihilates them. And here is the kicker. If you order the executioner, from Pestrol, P-E-S-T-R-O-L, pestrol.com.au. They're going to throw in the tennis racket zapper for free, which is a hell of a lot of fun, and it works as well. It's practical and works. It's fun. Pestrol. The bloke who owns Pestrol is a bloke called Andrew Fennell, and he's a very good mate of mine. I have known Andrew for 20 years. 20 years. And I've worked with him at other radio stations and I, I love endorsing his products because they work. And he is a terrific bloke. He offers a money-back guarantee. And I wouldn't endorse anything that Andrew has in, uh, unless it worked and it, unless it came with a money-back guarantee. His business is called Pestrol, P-E-S-T-R-O-L. Pestrol.com.au. Order the executioner and you'll get the tennis racket zapper for free don't let flies and mozzies ruin your summer grab the executioner and enjoy the great outdoors pest free pestrol.com.au quick break lots of people online wanting to talk 
Anthony has rung in and uh, he's got a fascinating story. Anthony, good morning. Good morning, mate. How you going? I'm good, Anthony. Tell me your story. Mate, um, let's just start with, um, like, it, it's great to be able to um, be able to give good news after so long. So basically, the short and curlies, I'm going to start with this week. Um, I've had my daughter for the first time here in Rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, the last nine years, she's lived in a grandmother's house in Morkeston with her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's now 11, started grade six in Mount Archer Primary School. This week's my first week taking her to school and bringing her home every day. What, uh, first week in nine years, you just said? I have done it, like gone um, paid to stay at Big Four for the week and taken to school a few days, like when I was working underground out of the mines. Yeah, okay. I'm just trying to get to the beginning of the story. You said at the beginning that this is the first time in nine years you've been able to bring your daughter to Rockhampton. She's been living with her grandmother and her mother for nine years. So I'm just trying to get to the bottom of the story. You, what, you've been fighting a, a custody battle, have you? Mate, I've been pretty torn up and not in a good way. What's happened? Um, a lot of different things over the years. Uh, just recently, over the last couple of years, I've, like, while working underground, permanent night shift, basically four years I did that, trying to um, support and, like, clear up the divorce and all that sort of stuff and just be able to move on with my life. Yeah. And get myself into a good headspace so that I had a fighting chance to fight for custody of my daughter. So why didn't you have custody or shared custody? Because the um, ex-wife we were married. Yeah. And, um... Like Cyclone Marcia back in... I remember, yeah. Yeah. Well, we lost the roof off the house. Yes. Prior to that, I was diagnosed with what they class idiopathic hypersomnolence. It's a form of narcolepsy. In other words, they don't know why the bastard falls asleep. Oh, dear. But anyway, look, it sounds like a very, very long and complicated story, but the good news, Anthony, is you've got your daughter back. Do you have her full-time now? Hey. Do you have your daughter full-time now? Not yet. All right, so you're sharing. Yeah. But the good and news... there's no custody, no agreements. It's just shared time. Oh, that's good. I've always been amicable. Yeah. And this lady, like my daughter's mother... Yeah. They used to come and stay at my mother's house when she was dying and help me look after her. So it's a very beautiful story. Well, I'm so pleased. I, I won't ask her name. She's underage and we've said Rockhampton, so I'm not going to ask that. But she's nine. For the last nine years, how old is she now? She's 11. Now. She's 11. Okay. So for the last nine years, have you had any contact with her at all? Oh, like school holidays. Yeah, and, yeah. Like a, and and you and, talk on the phone, would you? Or? Well, there was a lot of years that I'd ring like three, four times a day, um, her mother, 
I've sent text messages. G'day, how's Jamie? No reply. Okay, I've just had to dump that because he's identified his daughter. I asked no names. We know she's 11. She, we know she lives in Rockhampton. He's just named her. So I'll leave that conversation there, Thomas. Can you talk to Anthony off air and just say, look, congratulations, and I hope it's going well. I, I, I can't identify the girl, and he just did, and, and uh, I can't have that. So talk to, please talk to Anthony off air and let him know that we're thrilled. And I don't know why it's taken nine years, but it's a long, long story, I'm sure. But uh, I'm glad he's happy, and I'm glad that his little girl has mum and dad back in in her life, and that's that's the most important thing. One triple three five three is the telephone number. Um, I've got to keep moving. I, uh, yeah, I, I he identified his daughter on the radio, and I I I can't have that. She's underage, and uh, I'm glad that he's happy with the story, but it's um it's. It's got to stop there. Billy, hello. G'day, mate. How are you going? I'm, mate? Good. I'm good, Billy. Thank you. Yeah, no. Mate, what I wanted to ring you up and talk to you about was you talked earlier about constriction. Yes, yes. A, um, an academic from Monash University is concerned that the way the world is going, we are really understaffed as far as military personnel is concerned. And then the other side, or another... A uh, component of that argument is that the way to combat juvenile crime is to introduce conscription or like something like junior cadets, where if you commit crimes and you have three strikes, instead of going to juvie, you go to a training camp that's like a military camp for kids. What are your thoughts? Mate, that would work tremendously in today's society. Tell me why well, I, you think conscription for young offenders is a good idea, Billy. Tell me your story. Well, back in 1990, uh, 1978, I left school early uh, to do an apprentice pastry cooking um, uh, apprenticeship uh, at Woolworth in, in, in Cairns. And I left school, I was in boarding school. My, my parents used to manage Aboriginal communities in yeah. North Queensland. Yeah. And so I had a pretty, pretty um rough life you could say in that sense but a life that I really loved and I look back today and think it's great. Anyway, to get to the story, I started my apprenticeship and then one day um, I had one of those um, those tradesmen that was bought out to Australia, 10 pound bond oh, you yeah. know like yeah. Yeah, and his name was uh, I won't say his name but anyway um, he actually was pretty mean and sort of he did some nasty things to me as an apprentice, and I had to learn to take it, mm. which sort of set me on. Anyway, mm. cut a long story short, I was having lunch one day, and I saw the Navy recruitment oh, uh, yeah. caravan sitting in, in Abbott Street in Cairns. And I went in, and they said to me, said, mate, do you want to be in the Navy? We'll let you be in the Navy. Mm. And um, I joined the Navy as a chef, right? And Okay, yeah. Yeah, I did my, my, my initial training. And, and, and you joined the Navy as a chef, but also being in the Navy, did you have to do the physical training as well? Did, were you also trained to man a weapon and that sort of thing? Most definitely, mate. Ah, I, okay. I, I actually got my cross rifle for me, um, for me, uh, rifle training. So you, so you, were, you joined as a chef, but you could also be a, um, a qualified and effective soldier. 
Exactly, yes. Keep, keep talking, so. keep talking. Anyway, to cut a long story short, we, I did the time in the Navy and it changed my life, mate. I'll be honest. It really, really changed my life. It gave me a sense of responsibility. It gave me a, a sense of comradeship. The, the, the connections that I had to then, I still have today, hmm. right? And I'm 61 years of age now, mm-hmm. right? And basically, the, the, I, got a, I got a trade. On, I learned a trade. Back in those days, my trade as a chef wasn't recognised by civilian um, authorities outside the Navy, but it is now, mm. okay? I actually have a Cert 5 in cookery now mm. and all that sort of stuff. But the thing I want to push is today's kids are just have no respect for anything. Now, this is what people are saying, and I agree. But why is that the case? Why are we talking about putting troubled youth in the army for disciplinary reasons to try and take a chip off their shoulder and put some pride back in their heart. Why is this happening? Now, I believe the juvenile crime problem is exacerbated by the fact that there are no consequences when they break the law. You are so right. There needs to be consequences when you do something wrong. That's how you and I were brought up. So that's one problem. But then everyone else says, oh, Oh, but what their parents, their parents don't discipline them. That's that's where it sh- should all start at home. I don't know whether that's true or not. But do you think that uh, a 15-year-old kid who's been arrested 12 times and released 12 times and continues to rob people at railway stations and, and steal cars and, and break into people's houses, do you think the Army or the Navy or the Armed Forces is the answer for that kid? Most definitely. One thousand percent. One thousand percent, mate. It would teach these kids respect and respect in themselves more than anything. Do you know that? That would make them look, think back on their, on their past criminal history, and teach them the responsibilities of what they've got to go through in the like in the services. Okay. Now, someone rang up the other night and said, well, "The way our civil libertarian laws run now is that uh, you can't send a kid." To into the army for training without their consent. I think that's going to be bullshit. Uh, you know, as an adult in the real world, you commit a crime, you're sent to prison without your consent. But we are treating juveniles differently. And there's that story that I keep telling about the mother who sent her 14 year old daughter to a bedroom because she was being rude and insolent and disobedient. She said, you go to your room and have a think about it. Well, she went to school the next day and reported that to her teachers. Teachers rang docks and a uniformed policewoman turned up at the house the next day and arrested that mother and charged her with deprivation of liberty. She was taken to a police station and charged. It was eventually thrown out of court because it was as ridiculous as it sounds. But that mother went through that. Yeah, I feel sorry for that lady because you can't touch your kids. You can't discipline your kids anymore. So how are we expected to send them to, to the army um, when, they, when they can't be sent to their room? This is the problem. Yeah, that is true. But there's other solutions. Change the law. Change, change the law. Change the law. Exactly. You've got to change the law. I believe a lot of these politicians are too scared to, to actually 
support changing the laws because they're worried they're going to be voted out, out, of, poli out of politics. And therefore, they've got to agree. And the kids of today, unfortunately, mate, they have no, no respect whatsoever. What respect? I was a bus driver for a little while in Brisbane a couple of years back, and I got beaten up on a bloody one uh, on a route because I asked a kid to sit back to back, down the back away from another passenger that he was passing. I got beaten up, and I can't drive buses anymore. I'm... I'm actually driving myself now. I'm a truck driver now. Yeah. I'm on my way down to Coffs Harbour yeah. um, uh, to deliver some timber. But anyway. Listen, Billy, can you stay there? Billy, 61, has been in the Army and believes young uh, a juvenile offenders should be also put in the Army, a, a junior version of the Army, like cadets, but taught respect. You just heard Billy say he believes that for some reason kids, these troubled kids just have absolutely no respect for themselves, for their friends, for their fellow Australians. Now, Billy, stay there because Scotty's online. Scotty, hello. Hey, how are you going? You're, I just wanted to bring your opinion in on this while I've got Billy there. Billy's in Coffs Harbour. Where are you? Uh, Harvey Bay. Harvey Bay. You're, you're back on the track of apprentices, soft apprentices. And, Scotty, you were telling Thomas that you think part of the, the problem of the ill-disciplined kids not turning up for work or balking at hard work is because of the parents' fault. You think that the parents are raising soft kids? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I train, um, I train uh, like mental health workers and um, the level of, I guess, fragility, you know, for lack of a better word, like snowflake attitudes mm. is just... Um, yeah, it's 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 quite worrying. You know what I mean? It's quite worrying that, uh, like, you, like life's tough. Absolutely, you know what I mean. Life is tough, but like harden up. You know what I mean? It, like no one's going to do it for you. And do you I think? Do you think we've taken away the parents' power to raise children? Do you think parents? We need to reverse some of that and give parents back some of the disciplinary measures that they should be able to use. I'm not talking about flogging kids. I'm not talking about belting them back in black and blue or using a weapon. But, and I'll bring Billy back in on this. Billy, what do you think? Honestly, mate, you, I couldn't agree more. You, you felt the kids nothing. No, sorry, it's not, it's not the right answer, okay? Teaching them respect. I, my dad, when I grew up, if I did something wrong, he gave me one hard smack on the bum and said, don't do it again. And seriously, that's all I got. I didn't get flogged or anything, or any, or anything like that. But I, I actually, yeah. Scotty, do you think corporal punishment teaches respect? Oh well, I mean, mate, it, it can teach fear, but does it teach respect? You put a hand in your fire, you don't do it again because you get burnt, right? Like I never spoke back to me mum. I only ever did it once. You know, Dad gave me a like a smack for it. You know what I mean? Like a, a whack. You know what I mean? I think, you know, I think we've lost, parents have lost sight, like, they're the boss, they're not friends, right? Mm. Kids need to know where the line is, you know, and they need to be shown where the line is, you know, in all kinds of social aspects, because they're kids, teenagers, still learning, right? Like, if they don't have the adults to guide them and show them, the kids are going to find their own lines. Billy? Mate, I agree with Scott in that sense. The thing is, the, the, the kids today... They just know they can't be touched. Mm -hmm. They just know, and they just ignore 
every single law that's out there. Yeah, and they keep breaking the law because there are no consequences. Scotty and Billy, thank you for participating. We appreciate it. No right, worries. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Cheers, Scotty. Cheers, mate. Good to talk to both of you. There we are. See, that's what we do. We promote conversation here on the night shift. We bring people together. One triple three five three is the telephone number. The Triple M Network around Australia. I never get sick of hearing it, especially when you've got your headphones on and you can hear all those fantastic harmonies and the way that that album, early 70s, was produced and mixed. And the record company hated it. No good. It's crap, they said. And uh, they left the, the record company. Uh, this is the night shift around Australia on the Triple M Network. My name is Bono. Yours isn't. one triple three five three is the telephone number. The quickie is coming up in an hour from now. Now, if you want to hear today's clue before I release it via transmitters, uh, you can go onto our podcast on the listener app or wherever it is, your, your podcast, and uh, it's a separate clip. Today's clue is there. You can access it now if you want. Hey, listen, you know you snore. I bet you do. You've got a partner that's always telling you you're snoring. If you are disrupting other people's sleep, if your own sleep and your own health is being disrupted, if sleep apnea is a problem to you, Sove is the solution. Make a restful sleep for you and your partner your New Year's resolution. The experts are Sove, S-O-V-E. And Sove CPAP Clinic are offering a $75 FPOS gift card when you purchase a ResMed AirSense 11 Auto Set or the Philips Dream Station Auto CPAP Machine. Now, the offer is exclusive to Sove CPAP Clinic customers. And today is the last day. Today is the last day. T's and C's apply. Stop snoring and look after your health with Sove. Visit Sove CPAP Clinic, sove.com.au. There is a phone number. I doubt you'll be able to write it down. But if you go on to sove.com.au, the number's there. one 2939 Leave a message. Say you heard it with Luke. CPAP is used for obstructive sleep apnea treatment. Always follow the directions. When considering whether CPAP's right for you, speak to your doctor. I'll be back in a sec. The quickie is coming up. In uh, about 50 minutes, it's a brand new quickie. Uh, well, it's not. It started on uh, started on Monday. Did it or did it start? It started last week. It started uh, Thursday before the long weekend. It's going a bit stale. Yeah, it's time we got rid of it. Let's get, get rid of it. Do, the, we want to? Do we want it to go for as long as we can? No. It can actually go on the man cave. It could go till Friday go longer than a week. It could go longer than a week because it, it is an 80s song. We've established that. That's right. It could it's, be anything. It's an 80s song. Um, have a listen to the podcast. See if you can pick today's uh, quickie. We want to get rid of it. It is getting a bit stale. It's a good song, though. Um, one triple three five three is the telephone number. Yeah, I'll be talking to Shane Oliver, who uh, is uh, with AMP. He is... Um, He's as sad as I am today that the vacuum cleaner retail chain Godfrey's is gone. Godfrey's, the vacuum cleaner uh, retail chain, they've collapsed with cost of living pressures blamed for fewer sales 
and contributing to a challenging economic and operating environment. That's quote. What's what they've said since it's a step. Nineteen thirty-one. They started. Godfrey's evolved to become one of the world's biggest vacuum cleaner retailers and operates 141 stores, employing more than 600 people across Australia and New Zealand. Wonder why? I wonder what's happened here. They were a specialty vacuum store, and there were two in my area, one at DY, one at the Ringamore, and they've they both been there forever. And you could go in, you pick up a, a demo, and they'd pour dust or dirt on a demo piece of carpet, and you'd have a play with it and see if you liked it. So who has taken over the vacuum cleaner world? Is it the Harvey Normans and the good guys and uh, all those sort of stores now? They, they, they all sell vacuum cleaners. Most people who have a lot of money have a Dyson. Now, the Dyson vacuum cleaners are the Rolls-Royce of vacuum cleaners. They tell me I don't have one. I can't afford one. But everyone I know who has one says it's the best thing they've ever had. And for some reason, Dyson has the market cornered, and yet they're very, very expensive. It's a bit like saying, oh, I want a car. I'll go and get a BMW instead of a, you know, a Kia or a Hyundai. You know, it's taken over the Dyson. Have you heard of the Kogan? Those automatic the, the vacuum bit. cleaners. The t- oh, the robot, t- the robot vacuums. Yeah, the ones that you can program and they go across the house and they know where to vacuum and they turn themselves off and on. And But Godfrey's could have sold. Did Godfrey sell robot vacuum cleaners? I bet they did. They didn't have to. I don't know. Well, where are people buying their vacuum cleaners today? Are they seeing ads on TV and just ordering them? Do they see something advertised on, on telly and then they Google the reviews or they listen to somebody that's already bought one and buy it without going to a store and having a demo? I reckon your, your big shops like your Dick Smith's, your Harvey Norman's, Dick Smith's your JB Hi-Fi's. Dick Smith's gone, mate. Well, he's online. But does Dick Smith sell vacuums? Yeah. Okay. I reckon all those places uh, where most people are going, I don't think people go to specialist shops anymore. Yeah. Do people buy vacuum cleaners online without testing them? They buy everything else online without testing. They, people buy clothes without trying them on online. What happened to Godfrey's? Why do you think Godfrey's went? One triple three five three and Hoover. Well, at the beginning of the program, we were talking about Hoover. Thomas is too young to remember this, but Hoover was a dominant vacuum cleaner in Australia. In fact, so dominant was it that Hoovering meant vacuuming, where the brand name actually became. The verb. You know, it's funny. I think everyone in their family has a hoover in the sense that there's someone who loves a, a good meal and they'll hoover everything at the dinner table. And it probably comes from that. Is it still a, a part of the vernacular, is it? It you, is, yeah. You don't hoover them. You know, no one does that, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, you're making things up now. Uh, Tristan, hello. Hey, Luke, how are you? Tristan, I don't, I don't know what it is you want to talk about, but I just want to ask you a random question. I'm going to do a random poll. Do you own a vacuum? Yes. What's the brand? <laughs> Dyson. Ah! Do you earn over $300,000 a year? No. <laughs> but you have well, a diet. What, what, what I was ringing you, actually. No, no, I haven't finished with it yet. You have a Dyson. How much was it? 
Mike Dyson was eight nine hundred bucks, I think. Nine hundred bucks, and is it um, a cordless thing? Nope, nope. In- I hate cordless. Cordless is. I prefer. I, I'm a traditionalist. I prefer the plug-in. Yeah, we 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 didn't have a Dyson, but it was something I think we bought at Big W. It was on special, and, and everyone was saying it was a fantastic vacuum cleaner. It had no guts. It would run out of it would run out of guts after just half an hour. If you got a big house, it was shit. But um, anyway, you have a Dyson. There you are. So why are people buying Dysons when they are so darned expensive? The answer has got to be they're good. Honestly, honestly, Luke, I didn't call you about this. I know. I, t- I said that at the beginning, but I just went sideways. I'm doing a random poll. I took I took it for granted that you had a, a vacuum cleaner, and I wanted to know the brand. Tell me why you rang, Tristan. Um, we'll go back. We'll go back to the Dyson first, quickly. I did a test years ago. I yes. borrowed my parents' um, Dyson when I moved um, out of my house when I finished my apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, Moved down to Adelaide from the country. Yeah, and I had an old bag. One I can't. I think yeah. it was like a Bax, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I put in a brand new bag in my Vax, and I vacuum cleaned my house. And I looked at the bag afterwards, and I thought, "Oh yeah, I've done a good job." And then Dad comes along with his Dyson, and pretty much sucked up that much stuff that I was actually mortified. So you thought, you looked in your, your old-fashioned vacuum where they had the bag, you vacuumed your place, the bag's got a reasonable amount of dirt in it, and you thought, I've done a good job, that's good. Then the, along comes the Dyson, and you went, oh, my God, look at what I've left behind, and that's what sold you. Yep, yep. Just the superior ability of it to, to vacuum. Do you, and do you know Dyson don't even advertise with me? Look at what they're getting here. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, what Tristan, I, what did you well, ring about? I I'm I'm a what I call a dual qualified person. Um, started out with a trade. Now I have a university degree. My trade and my university degree are quite interesting when I say them together. I am a trade qualified butcher, slaughterman, and small goods maker. Mm. I have met. I've since gone to university many years later, and I'm now a registered nurse. Wow! That works in intensive care. So you've gone from being an apprentice butcher, yep, to a nurse. That's a that's a one eighty, isn't it? Uh, it's basically like turning left at Greenland. <laughs> I know. I know. That's amazing. But but, but but I mean, good on you. You obviously enjoy being a nurse more than a butcher. I love I love nursing and I loved I love my time as a butcher but it is it is a dying trade. It it's a trade that you cannot get kids into because there is no money. Like and unfortunately Luke the the dollar symbols is what makes the big the world go round. It's it's what allows me, you know, being a nurse allowed me to buy a Dyson vacuum cleaner. <laughs> because, and, I, and when I say, when I say, you know, when I say that, Luke, not being silly, these eight nine hundred dollars that I spent on buying my Dyson vacuum cleaner is probably the maximum amount I would have earned 
a, as a week. Yes. As a butcher. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, so yeah, yeah. To spend 900 bucks, that's basically was when I left butchering the maximum amount of money that I could possibly earn. Mm. And I'm not saying that I'm a nurse because the money, that's not it at all. Luke, it's, it's just that trades are dying and trades are dying because the government, I think, in ways are letting them die. Um, I've got people begging to differ. They're saying that it's we have a, a lazy generation of Zeds walking around who don't want to get their hands dirty and they don't want to bend their backs and don't want don't want hard work. I I, I, I beg to differ because I know a lot of Generation Z kids and whatever this new light is that comes through and the kids do want to work. But well, what do you say to the bloke who rang me earlier who had someone ready to start and they didn't turn up? Rings home and mum says, "Oh, he's still in bed." That, that's a reflection on the parent, personally. Okay, fair enough. What about the bloke that turns up for work and at lunchtime he says at 30 degrees it's too hot, he wants to quit, he wants to go home? Is that the parents as well? Because a second ago you were blaming the government. I, I, view, I view that that is, is, is a failure of society, society in general. So, so why is the government to blame? I, I feel that the government should be, you know, I... Look, I was one of those kids when I was in high school. I I struggled with my ability to learn. If you know what, like, there's there's different ways of learning. And in high school, I don't think I had the right teachers to um, allow me to learn. Now, if I had the opportunity when I was in high school to actually do an apprenticeship and at least start something while I'm in high school, so you know, I go to Go to high school, do two or three, you know, two, two or three days to work towards finishing my high schooling abilities while still learning a trade and actually being exposed to the outside environment rather than being in a air conditioned environment twenty four hours a day, seven days of the week. I think it would have it would make things easier for kids to transition. Okay. All right. Well, I take that on board, Tristan. I've got to keep moving. Good luck with your new career. From butcher to nurse, Tristan, who, um, I don't know, he, one moment he's saying the government's to blame for kids not wanting to become apprentices, then he's saying it's the parents, and now he's saying it's the wrong teachers. Maybe it's a combination of all three. I've got to keep moving. Toey, hello. G'day, Luke. How you going? I'm good, buddy. What's up? Um, I'll just read you what I was going to say, like, with the, with the uh, apprentices, like, through the government, see if we could get them mm. in, like, into an apprenticeship at 16, and a part of their, their part of their schooling is they get uh, a car licence. Yeah. So that one, yeah, so that one week, the, the one week uh, of the month that you go to, go to your trade school, one day out of that, you actually go to a driving school. Mm. So the first, say, for the first six months, you would learn what the car's all about and everything like that. Mm. Driving school signs off to say that, yes, you're, and you'd have restrictions on it. You'd have restrictions on driving the, the car and your boss, you have to run a long book, boss signs off, and it will make them accountable for actually... 
getting to you know getting to work, um, or, and also help out the parents, obviously. Yeah. You know, like okay. They got they got, got a way to get to work. Yeah. And by the end, like, so if you get them in, start them off, giving them an incentive to start an apprenticeship at sixteen, you must be doing an apprenticeship or a yes. scholarship. Yes. Yes. And, so by the end of your, by the time of the end of your schooling's done, like your apprenticeship's done, yeah, you're on a full license. They okay. can also learn to be taught to tow a trailer, yes. all that sort of stuff. Okay, okay, I'm I'm writing this down. That's not a bad idea. So if we if we need more tradies, we need more apprentice apprentices. Why don't we make life a little bit easier for them, so and give them some tools that they can work with, so they can turn up to jobs. The thing that I don't think you'll ever be able to change is the low wages you give early apprentices um, because they're learning. So unless there's massive <clears throat> government subsidies to be able to pay first, second and third year apprentices more wages because their bosses certainly won't be able to pay it because you know they're, they're not working like a fully fledged skilled tradie. And if it's the money that's the deterrent, do we subsidise them or do you say to yourself, if they're worried about the money, that means they don't have a hard work ethic anyway? Is it a work ethic that's lacking or is it the money or what? Or is it, or is it the, the parents not getting their kids out of bed? Hang on, get out of bed. You were supposed to be at this work site at 7 o'clock. You promised this bloke you were going to turn up. What are you doing in bed? Is it the parents? Well, I, I think it is, but the other thing about it is, Luke, it, I think if you can get them into, like, like we got the youth crime thing, but if you get them into, get them into an apprenticeship at 16, try and through the government get licences. Like, they have restrictions, obviously. Um, you have to work on that, you know, like on what. But if, they, if you get them into work at 16, they're not running around, they're not running around like, with their mates, uh, 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 looking looking to get into trouble. Yeah, I, I yeah, idle hands makes the devil's work is the old saying. Toey, you've been great. Thank you so much for your suggestions. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Call back any time. Get a car license early. Get these kids into being able to drive a motor car a little bit early. We're going to talk about motor cars. And last year's horrific road toll with James Ward a little bit later on this morning. This is the night shift on Triple M. Going to talk to James Ward shortly about last year's road toll. I mean, it was the worst in nearly six years. And the cases of road rage through the roof. Why are people so angry and why are the deaths on our roads? This is the, these are the 2023 figures. Why are they up? What are we doing wrong? Uh, we'll see if James has some answers shortly. One triple three five three. Um, ben on Facebook has said, "Hey Luke, I believe the reasons why we have the highest road toll and shocking road rage incidents is because drivers are just too impatient. They are just always in a rush. Plus, I also reckon there is just way too many people driving on our roads. They are overpopulated." which contributes to road rage because of our highways and our roadways. They just can't handle the load of traffic these days. This is why there's so much traffic buildup and so many accidents. Michelle, hi, Luke and Thomas. I listen to you every night. 
nearly from day one. I don't want to put a damper on your night, but without you, I'd be dead. God, you've got me through some really tough times in my life. You make me laugh and you make me cry. Thank you very much. And the Minister of War and Finances is a lucky woman. She doesn't think so. Have a great night, guys. Love the show. We love you too, Michelle. Can we send Michelle something nice? And we'll send Ben something nice too. We'll find something nice for you both. Thank you for commenting. There, You can comment on email or you can comment straight to Facebook if you want. 13353 is the number. I've got to tell you, this Swift Grow, it is being used in the United States of America, in Europe, Great Britain, Sri Lanka, the Sri Lankan Agricultural Department got Joe from Swift Grow to go over there because they'd had record rains and floods, uh, mudslides, their soils have been dilapidated. And so Joe said, well, you've got to put nature back into your soil. And now Swift Grow is being commandeered and used by the Sri Lankan Department of Agriculture, and they're growing tea and bananas with Swift Grow. Hope Estate in the Hunter Valley. Michael makes some of the best wines in the world. And his whole vineyard is now Swift Grow. And I had uh, Pat ring me last week. God, she loves Swift Grow. Where are you, Pat? Where did Pat go? Pat's disappeared. Anyway, Pat rang me last week. I didn't, I didn't ask her to ring. Oh, here she is. This is what she said. But I put some on my lawn, Luke, in a certain spot. Yep. And a couple of weeks later when my lawnmower man came and said, what's happened to your lawn? Mm. He said, why? Well, I said, why? He said, because it's grown really well here and it's short over there. So there you go. So <laughs> There you go. Pat's lawnmower man said, what have you done here and not there? She said, I put Swift Grow there. Swift Grow. Here is the best deal. Five litre bottle for 120 bucks. It goes a hell of a long way and free delivery anywhere in Australia. Contact them. Swiftgrow.com.au. Joe's daughter, Montana, will look after you. Swiftgrow. .com.au. Yeah, and um, I can't agree with James Moore. Uh, um, you know, we need a complete and transparent breakdown of these figures. It's one thing to say that 2023 was the deadliest year on Australian roads in nearly six years, but we need to know, we need to break it down, don't you reckon, Thomas? Like, um, of those deaths, how many were young kids on their peas? What demographic? Boys? Were they girls? Were there accidents, fatal accidents, where there was more than one person in the car? Did that accident happen at night? Was speed involved? Was fatigue involved? Was alcohol involved? Were drugs involved? All these things need to be looked at. Was there... Um, uh, an aged driver involved? Was there somebody at the end of their driving career? You need to look at these figures, not just the overall figure. You need to be able to break them down so then you can target um, your training or your messaging or your media messaging to those demographics and, and try and work out what's going on. Absolutely. It should be totally down to circumstance because every circumstance is different depending on, as you said, the driver and what the weather condition yeah. is or what the time of day is as well. See, I mean, you, you just assume oh, most of these accidents and the, one you, the ones you hear about, the terrible, terrible accidents often do involve speed and young drivers. But that's not the whole figure. There could be plenty of fatalities being caused by people in their 60s and above. 
Um, what time of the day are these accidents happening? Are they happening at night, you know, where vision is bad? Are they happening on freeways where people maybe are not used to freeway conditions? Were trucks involved? All these things need to be looked at. Anyway, and, and, and here's the other question, road rage. Why is road rage such a huge issue? Since COVID, the reports of road rage have tripled. Why are people so angry? Chris, hello. you got some thoughts. Hiya, Luke. G'day, Chris. How are you, buddy? Good, mate. Good. On my way home after a good night's work. What do you do? Uh, truck driver. Okay. So you're on the road a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, you're a professional driver. And you're up high and you can see what's going on. Chris, uh, I know you've got some thoughts on road rage. What have you seen and what are your thoughts? So there's, a, there's a couple of factors there. Like besides... Um, you, you nailed it before. Everyone's in a rush these days. Um, time is money, I guess. But th- th- there's a lot of lot of smaller factors. Like um, I see it everywhere. Uh, for example, you're on a, a a main road, 80 k's an hour. You're restricted down to 60 k's because someone's not feeling confident enough to drive the 80 k's an hour. So they're sitting on 60. Mm -hmm. Then they're holding up traffic and then all of a sudden, you know, the car behind starting to lose his temper. Mm -hmm. And that also can lead to, to, you know, fatality accidents when um, someone gets impatient, wants to jump the gun. So they pull out, try to overtake four cars and and they have a head-on collision. I've seen that. And, you know, I've I've been in that position because when I drive home, I drive down a fairly long two-lane road with only one opportunity to overtake the Wakers Parkway, and it's 80. And when I'm behind, I'm trying to get home. I'm tired. I've just done five and a half hours of talkback radio. And if the car in front of me is only doing 60 in this 80, I get very edgy. Oh, absolutely. It drives me mad. And it happens all the time. And I know why. They're not used to the road and it's dark. But it clearly says 80 and they're going 60 and there's no opportunity to overtake on this road. And most of the traffic's coming in the opposite direction. It's the people going to work early. So there's a sea of headlights coming towards you. And if, and if you're tempted to overtake on a dangerous spot because the bloke in front of you is going 20 under the speed limit, that's going to that's gonna cause a massive accident. And, and yeah, that's it. And, like, uh, I was taught, like, my dad was a truck driver for 40 years, and he taught me when, whenever in that situation... If you hesitate, you die. And, and a lot of people do. They go to overtake, they see the headlights, and then they hesitate, and then they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And um, Do you know another thing that drives me mad? When you are on uh, a long-distance trip, and it's only two lanes, and you see a sign, overtaking lane 50 metres ahead, and the car in front of you that's going 20 kilometres under the speed limit, you finally get to the overtaking lane, and what do they do, Chris? They speed up. They turn, into, they turn into Michael Schumacher and they hit 120 in the blink of an eye. At the overtaking lane. Why do people do that? And as soon as the overtaking lane ends, back to 80 k's an hour. What, do, you, do you have any, uh, uh, any idea, a theory on why that happens? I think that sometimes people do it just to be a smart ass. They get a kick out of it. You know, they, they, they realise how frustrated you are behind them and... And they realise they sit there and go, well, you know what? I've got an overtaking lane here. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna give him a hard time. 
Um, I, somebody rang me once and suggested that the person that's going under the speed limit, and then when the when the overtaking lane appears, they speed up. They they reckon that they're nervous about being first in line, and they're not used to driving at 110. And when the overtaking lane comes, they don't want to be left behind. I don't know if that's true or not. It's, it's a possibility. I mean, my, my thing is if you're not comfortable on the road, you shouldn't be there. That's that's when accident, you're going to cause an accident because if you're uncomfortable, there's a speed limit for a reason. And, uh, and I'm all for the whole wipe off five or wipe off lives. Like, you know, that, that does save lives. But if you're not comfortable to do the speed limit, then effectively you, you're like, it's unsafe driving. Something I should have brought up with James Ward, but I'll ask you, Chris. We've just nationally got over a long weekend where there's been double demerit points. Do you think that we should double the loss of demerit points 24-7, 365 days of the year? Wow. And then if you don't have a problem... If you do not have a misdemeanor, if you do not have one tiny little misdemeanor for 12 months, you get an extra point. The idea is pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm talking about a, a big stick with one hand, but a carrot with the other. Yeah. I, I like the idea, but as a, as a professional driver, um, you know, I'm, I'm no, not, not perfect out there. I've, you know, caught my fair share of fines in the past. Um. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know. That that's that's a hard one. That... Well, I'm 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 I like putting out ideas and creating conversation. So, if double demerit points on long weekends when there are statistically more people on the roads is supposed to save lives, how about we just do it all year round? So, double the demerit points you can lose for speeding, running a red light, for for whatever, not wearing a seatbelt, talking on the phone, whatever. Double those demerit points all year round. However, if you can get through 12 months without one misdemeanor, you get an extra point. Yeah, I, I can see that would work. Like, it, it seems to work majority of the time with the long weekends, but it has to be national. Like, at the moment, Victoria, yeah, we, yeah. Don't, no, we ma- don't have double demerit points. They, they advertise it, but it's just a fear tactic. Like, we don't actually have it. Well, what about we make it a national issue? Because you're right, it gets very confusing when you drive from state to state to territory. If you're a long-distance truck driver, you know that. So why don't we have more national road laws and, yep, introduce a bigger stick, double the demerit points you lose for every misdemeanor all year round. But if you get through a whole year without a misdemeanor, you get an extra point. You get a reward. Hey, Chris, it's good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Sorry, just one other thing. Another... Another thing that can lead to road rage uh, is, um, is in it that I don't want to sound like um, racist or anything in the way of saying it, but international drivers, they, their roads are a lot different to our roads. Mm. Their rules are a lot different to our rules. Mm-hmm. And when they come over and they, you know, transfer their international license to an Australian license or... Or even if they don't, even if they just w- keep driving on their international license... That, to me, is also a problem because you can have somebody who's come to Australia that cannot cannot speak English or read English signs. 
they don't know what our road rules are. They've never driven on the right side of a vehicle before and they can arrive at the airport, go up to budget rent a car and drive off into the ether. I, I had a, a friend, he come over from um, India and um, he'd never been to Australia before. Like uh, when he finally came over, he's, I was like, you good to drive? He's like, yeah, I've got my license. I didn't know he'd never been here before. And um, his way of indicating was honking his horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I never been so terrified in a car in my entire life. And like, if you are on the roads in India, which I have, and I've been on bus trips, and there are signs on the back of trucks and buses and cars, please honk. They want you to honk to let the other drivers know that you're there. They they actually encourage it. There are signs telling you to do it. It's another culture, and just because you might know the uh, the workings of a combustion engine and a gear a manual gearbox doesn't mean that you're you're right to drive in a different country i'm with you chris no worries hey, yeah thanks for your call buddy so easy mate thank you i really appreciate it mate and please call back anytime you're part of the night shift family right thanks luke i really appreciate it okay have a great day today the night shift on triple m join the conversation Help us create some conversation. It's good stuff. We need to we need to do this. And I do think we need national road laws, not just state laws. The quickie's coming up. The class from 1982. Can you believe it? Here on the night shift with Luke Boner, 13353 is the telephone number. Brand new quickie. Uh, well, no, no, no. I've got to stop saying that. Tonight's quickie coming up in just a moment. But it's not brand new. It's been going with us since the Thursday before Australia Day. It's almost a week old. I know. It stinks. It does. Or like a Godfrey vacuum cleaner. It sucks. No, well, they don't suck anymore, do they? No, no. You know what? I, I've, I'm very smart sometimes, but mm-hmm. there are other times I'm not. Mm-hmm. Really? Just, really? <laughs> you realise. I don't believe that. I've just realised mm. we've got a Dyson at home. Where? My housemate has one. Well, why aren't you using it? Oh, I do. I didn't realise it was a... Do, do, do I look like someone who knows vacuum brands? They've got Dyson written on them. Yeah, I don't look at the brand. D-Y-S-O-N. Does it have that on it? Uh, probably. I just hit so the button and So you've never used it. You've never used it. No, no. You've never used it. So We've I'm, got a roster. I could do it twice a week. So you've, you've been using a Dyson and you didn't know you had a Dyson. That's right. Why aren't Dyson advertising with me? How come I've mentioned their name a million times <laughs> and they don't spend a cent on this program? The, the, the media watch thing that... Uh, Gets all the brand names. No, it's called Media Monitors. Yeah. Yeah, they'll be getting plenty of hits, and they'll be going, oh, thank you, Luke. And they'll go, why should we advertise with that bastard? They'll probably have a board meeting today (laughs) discussing it. No. Why aren't Dyson advertising with us? Why am I giving them all the – because they're the best, apparently. How many times can you say Dyson? No, 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 no more. Not until they spend a cent. Not until they – hey, listen, there's an old saying that I have, okay? All right? There's an old saying, if you want to get in bed with me, you've got to kiss me first. The Night Shift, around Australia on the Triple M Network. The Night Shift. Now, 
You've heard about the buzz surrounding this wonder product, Nature Bee Power Pollen. I discovered it uh, 24 years ago this year. And uh, if you want more energy, if you want overall better health, if you want a better night's sleep, if you want a real pick-me-up, a get-me-up that's natural, a food, a natural food, it's a superfood, pollen, give it a go. Because Nature Bee are giving all new customers one week for free. Just use the code 10OFF, number 10, and then OFF when you go online. $29.95 plus delivery, and you can have a week's free supply of Nature Bee Power Pollen. You'd better hurry. This won't last. This is a limited offer. 1-800-147-009, powerpollen.com.au. The quickie's next and the new clue. I love Moffies on this day segments. I, I, but at the same time, they're a little bit depressing to find out that Harry KSE from the Sunshine Band is seventy what seventy three. Does it make you feel old? Johnny Rotten's sixty something. It may, yes, but it's interesting. Makes me feel young. It's very very. Piss off. <laughs> you for, you learn something new with them. You do. You do. Love. You yeah. do learn something new. You do learn something new. I love it, Moffy. Well done. Please keep them coming. We love playing them. I love listening to them. One triple three five three is the telephone number. Okay, folks. The quickie. It sounds like this. Okay. Sounds like a bit of noise. It's a big hit from the eighties. It reached number three on the Australian charts. The clue today is watch your step. That's right. Watch your step. Um, that's all we need to do, I think. That will get us there. What's the quickie? I need the name of the song. I need the name of the artist. Today's clue, watch your step. One triple three five three. The Night Shift. Around Australia on the Triple M Network. Night shift. Okay, Sam, you there? Hey, Luke, how you going, brother? All right, Sam, I'm doing a poll. What sort of vacuum cleaner do you have and why? $1,300 Dyson, that's what the missus oh, wanted. How, how much did it cost? Can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah. Okay, is it cordless? Yeah. What is it? What, what model is it? Oh, I think it's like a V12 or 13 or something like that. Okay, was it close to 2000 bucks? Uh, about 1300 but there, that's getting, getting up there. there was only one more. That was about seventeen, and that was in the cordless range, mate. Here's another Dyson ad. Okay, they're good but bloody expensive. Dyson, you better spend some money with me so I can justify how expensive your very good vacuum cleaners are. And why did your missus want that one? Well, just looking at it, we went into Godfrey's at Qatar, which is right next to Domain. Yeah. And everything that he had in that kind of what, what she wanted to do, yes. you'd never heard of the brand. So do you think Godfrey's, what led to Godfrey's downfall was they sold vacuum cleaners, and I'm sure they sold very good vacuum cleaners, but they sold much cheaper. And people are going for the, the Dysons and the big brands now and the, ro- and the Robo, the, the robot vacuums. Yeah, they had robot vacuums on display at the front, mate, at with Godfrey. no walls on it. Yeah, yeah, Godfrey's. Yeah. And they were working away on the ground, just moving around, doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
they don't get in the corners and shit because they're all round. They're never going to get into corners, so you're still going to have to go around doing a bit of a spot clean anyway with those robots. Because the Minister for War and Finance was going to get this robo-vacuum cleaner that Trevor Long was talking about. This is last year. And then she read, she went to Choice magazine, right? This is what she does. She went to Choice online, and the, re- the reviews weren't that flash. No. Nah. And she said, I'd have to have it on while you're trying to sleep during the day. And she said, most, most of them are a little bit noisy. And yeah. that was the other thing. They're round and can't get into corners. Yeah. Does anyone, have a, does anyone out there have a robo vacuum cleaner? And, you, and would you swear by it? Give me a call. Let me know. Well, I reckon I'd be all right if you, were just, yeah, if you were, didn't have kids and shit. You could just get into corners every now and then. But, I mean, I've seen a lot of bloody videos of people when they've got home and their dog or cat's taking a crap on the carpet. <laughs> the next minute it's all spread around the house with the robot driving over it and <laughs> just spreading it everywhere. That, that, that would be very pleasant. <laughs> so the dog or the cat takes a dump on the carpet, the robo thing doesn't see it, goes over it no. and, and spreads it throughout the house. Yeah, just a big round mark all here, there, and everywhere through the house till it runs out. Then you got to clean it all. Hey, Sam. Yeah, mate. Luke and I were discussing before, we were trying to think of the collective noun for a pile of dog poo. What would you call it? A collective noun for a pile of dog poo? Hmm. <laughs> Bout the shit. <laughs> Look it up. Is it online? The collective noun for dog poo. What does it say? There's nothing. We have to come up with it. Okay. So a spread of poo, a dump of poo. A smother. A smother of dog poo. A dollop. No, that's that would be just one. Yeah. It's more than a dollop. So a smother. A, co- a canine collection. I don't know. What's a good collective noun for dog poo in a park? Um, we were talking earlier about how a province in Italy, they've registered all the dogs, as you're supposed to do, and they all have microchips, but they've taken the dog's DNA. And then if there's a pile of dog shit in a park that hasn't been picked up, the ranger goes along, takes a swab, and then can match the, the, the dog with the poo because they've got the dog's DNA, and they send a fine to the owner's house. What about that? Want to be a big bloody fine? Because I reckon a DNA test's going to cost you more than a normal fine for... A pile of dog crap sitting on the ground. Anyway, that's what they've done. That's what they've done. Yeah. Anyway, oh. uh, Sam, good on you, buddy. All right. See you. Bye bye. One triple three five three is the telephone number. Um, Wayne, good day. Wayne, Wayne, talk to me. Yeah, mate. How are you, Luke? Good. Yeah, I've got a um, quickie. Go win it. Win it now. Uh, he's going to step on you again. I need the song and the artist. Uh, I know it was 87. Um, oh, bugger. No, sorry, sorry, Wayne. One, triple, three, five. I need the name of the song. I need the name of the artist. Don't ring me up just with some random song. I need the artist as well. But no, that wasn't the, that wasn't the right song, Wayne. All right, thank you. Okay, mate, keep trying. Watch your step. Quick question for you. Mm. What vacuum does the Minister for War Finance have? I don't know. It's an upright. It's got a clear cylinder. doesn't have a bag. Um, and I don't know the brand name. She would have bought it through Choice. 
and it wouldn't, and she she would not justify spending that much money on a Dyson. Yeah, okay. She'd she spend would, it on a Hoover. Now Hoovers are gone, mate. Please, just honest, give it away. You, you, honestly, you're being a fool to yourself and a burden to others. You really are. I'm doing my best. Yes, you are. The night shift, triple M. Sharon, you've been waiting on way too long. I do apologise. How are you? She's gone. Sharon. No, I'm here. No, I'm here. Okay. (laughs) Hi, Sharon. What's up? Um, You were talking earlier to one of the tradies that said the workers didn't turn up after they'd been given a job. Yes. And he said he was um, a plumber. He employs over 30 plumbers. Seemed like a very, very nice bloke. Uh, His name was Chris. And he said it happens all the time. He'll he'll interview a young bloke. He gets them to turn up the next morning at seven o'clock, and they just don't turn up. And he said it's really frustrating. I can fully understand. Um, one of the issues I think we have, and the government means to look at, is um, these people have to apply for jobs when they're on Centrelink. Yeah. And so yeah. they go to these interviews, yeah. and they get the jobs, and they don't turn up, but they still get their payments. Right. So they say yes, but they had never had an intention of turning up. Correct. So then why can't – and I've spoken to Graham Wynn, our employment expert, about this, and it's not just tradies. It's everywhere. Yes. You have, you have people who apply for a job because they have to apply for so many jobs to get their benefit, and they, they go to interviews, yep, and then they just turn up. And I've said to Graham, how come uh, those people like – Chris the plumber can't report that to Centrelink so that their benefit stops. And Graham said, because they just don't have the manpower. They don't have the time or the staff to go through every single complaint. And he said, they just keep getting away with it. They do. And unfortunately it's, um, I was doing my nursing and I almost missed out on a place to get into study because uh, there was a whole heap of young children. Well, I say children, How but they old? were adults, young adults, um, that were applying for the nursing course. Yes. That had no intention whatsoever mm. in becoming nurses, but they needed that because it got Centrelink off their back because they were studying. Why have we done this to ourselves? If you don't turn up and follow through, your Centrelink payment's got to stop. It does. And when we were talking earlier about um, them going into the army or whatever, um, I think that's brilliant. I loved the work for the doll. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It made people get out. I thought you did have to work for the doll. I thought you had to prove that you were seriously looking for employment to receive an unemployment benefit. You don't. No. No, you don't. And this is where it's really unfortunate. And some of the new nurses we've had coming through, um, they've got jobs. They're doing this. We're going to do this. Um, I work in aged care. And they turned around and said, oh, well, I'm sorry. I don't wipe bums. Well, I'm sorry. That's actually part of your job. Yeah. And they just won't do it. Yeah. I've got to say this, though, Sharon. It takes a really special person to work in aged care. It is a speciality. People don't realise. My mum was in aged care for a long time, too long, but she was being looked after. And my aunt, her sister, same thing. And to look at these wonderful women and men and men who look after these people who can be really tough, you know, when dementia sets in and they're rude Mm -hmm. and cantankerous and, and awful and really awful. 
and they just take it in their stride and look after these people who are saying goodbye to the earth. They are wonderful, wonderful people. And I tell you what, the two nursing homes that I visited every week for quite some time because of mum and her sister, Annie Leal, the majority of the workers there, and this is just my observation, mm-hmm. are young women from the Philippines or from Thailand. Um, is that just a wrong observation? It's not. Um, but you've still got to have the understanding, and a lot of them don't. They come in and it's just a job. They actually, for me, um, it's a lifestyle. Yes, like but, farming uh, is for some for some of the farmers, I come in and I have a lot of passion for the aged care, um, but a lot of the nurses that come in, um, it's it's all about the money. I don't. I didn't get that impression from any of these young young women, but they all seem to be of Asian persuasion. And I went on checking because I'm I'm like this. I I ask questions. They were mostly from the Philippines, or they were mostly from Thailand. And they were beautiful. And they and I just thought to myself, uh, is it because Australian young people don't want to wipe bums and don't want to put up with the cantankerous people with dementia? And that's where it's speciality. Is it their culture that uh, – are they more patient? I don't know. Um, we could actually learn a lot from the other cultures mm. because a lot of them will um, nurse their loved ones at home. They don't go into nursing homes. They don't have them over there. Mm. Um, whereas Australians, we're so willing to just put our elderly into homes for someone else to care for. I mean, to dress somebody and bathe somebody and to wipe an elderly person's bum, as you put it, is it because these young people, on my observation, that come from Asian countries, is it because they <clears throat> their culture is that they live with elderly people generation after generation after generation and they're they know how to do it. It's part of their culture. Is that a, f- a fair assumption? Um, actually, yes, it is. It is. And that's why I say we can learn a lot from them. Yeah. It takes a really special person to look after somebody in aged care. It really, really does. Sharon, thank you for your insight. I really appreciate your call. One concern that I do have, though, is when these people are actually trying to get their Centrelink payment and they're applying and going into TAFE or wherever to try and get these courses done, they're actually taking up spots of people that really want to work. Yes, they are. They are because I nearly missed out on a spot because there wasn't enough um, room left for me to join. It was only pure luck that someone actually pulled out Mm. and I then went and sat the exam. Um, Mm. And that's really sad. Look, I think you've brought up some really good points. You are close to caller of the week. But this has got to stop. If you're applying for a job and you say, yes, I'm going to start just to get Centrelink off your back and then you don't turn up and it shows that you were really not interested in that job, your Centrelink benefit has to be cut off. Yes, it does. It's got to stop. Yes, I think it should. And Graham Winners told me over and over, he said they can't do it, they haven't got the staff to go through it. And uh, he said it's a rort. And it's very, very annoying. Sharon, thank you. You're welcome. I'm sorry about the wait. You were so worth you were so worth the wait. Thank you very much. Okay, it's good to have you and Thomas back. Thank you, Sharon. Bye bye. <laughs> okay, talk, thanks. Bye. Talk, talk soon. I mean, do you agree that if you've got someone who's on the dole and they've been on the unemployment benefit 
lying to the officials, bullshitting, and applying for jobs and saying, yes, I'll turn up when they have no intention, but it gets Centrelink off their back, they've got to stop their benefit, haven't we? Stop the not fair income. One triple three five three is the telephone number. G'day, Graham. Hello, I'll just take you off hands free for a second, mate. Yeah. Yes, Graham, go. Yeah, just a just a, a quick one. Um, I want to have a go at the quickie first, but uh, just talk, talking with Sharon, mm. those um, those people in third world countries like uh, Vietnam, Thailand, mm. uh, Bali, Phil. they don't have any any facilities like we have in Australia, yeah. so they have no option but to take care of their oldies. And so it is part of the culture. Yeah, well, the, 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 they don't have any option but mm. to take care of them. They don't have anywhere they can put them. Mm. And those people, they travel a long way to work. You know, the, the, mm. the wife might travel hundreds of kilometres and stay away and, from the from their family. Mm. You know, and, and, and they are caring people by nature. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it just, it's just my observation. Mum was in uh, aged care for quite some time and her sister was as well. Aunty Leal went first. But, but, and they were separate nursing homes. And most of the staff, I reckon 99% of them, were from an Asian background. And they were, they were so caring, so caring. Um, and it was, I just thought to myself, don't Australian, non-Asian, Caucasian uh, people want to do this work? Is it too much? Wiping someone's bum, it's, you know, who would, who would want to do it? Your Southeast Asian people, um, they're all, years ago, as tradies, they used to get them from Southeast Asia, a variety of different countries, and they used to only be able to pay like ten grand to get them over here as sponsorship. Now it's gone up exponentially, and it's just the government have realised what's happening. Yeah. So it used to be ten thousand, fifteen thousand as a sponsorship. Now yeah. it's like sixty thousand. It's out of touch. I didn't know. My oh, and my other observation, same observation, Launceston. Tasmania. My uncle was in care. He was in care there for six years, five years. He passed away at the end of last year, Uncle Ron. But he was in care and there were mostly Southeast Asian girls working at his retirement village and they were just so patient. He he was a very rude, cantankerous, stubborn old bugger, Uncle Ron, and they just put up with his shit. And I used to say, you can't talk like that. We used to have a FaceTime meeting every Sunday and they would, on a trolley, wheel in a laptop and he could see my face and I could see his on my phone and we used to chat. And he used to say, oh, these women here, they're terrible. They're, they, they're trying to kill me. And I said, you can't talk like He used to talk dreadfully and they just smiled and kept loving him and washing him and feeding him and caring for him. And I don't know how many many people would have their patience. The Islander people are also good at that uh, palliative care. Yeah. My only frustration was um, when I tried to ring him, it was usually on a weekend, and the uh, and the, the struggle I had with the English on a, ringing on a Saturday, that was frustrating, that the person who answered the phone's English was, was not up to scratch. It was very hard to communicate. But the rest of the time, the rest of what they did was just, oh, Mother Teresa, you know? And you know the other thing too about the Southeast, Southeast Asian countries, I should say, yes. is you're saying about road rage. Mm. Over there, they don't have roundabouts. You know, they they ease onto a, from a side street onto a busy highway, mm. and they'll take up one lane, then they'll mm. take up the next lane, 
and they'll block traffic, and then there'll be no hooting of the cars and yelling and screaming. Yep, off you go. You turn right, and off you go. It's true. And, it's yeah, true. What, what happened? What? Why can't we be so benevolent on the on the roads like they are over there? And it, they've got no. They'll they'll have a bit of a wave, or they'll yell out to it, and they'll bip bip. Off I come, you know, and off they go. Here, you do that, you will get absolutely polaxed if you do that here. You're 100%. You are so true, Graham. Why is their demeanour so much better than ours and they're so busy? Have you, Folks, try and cross a road in Cambodia or Vietnam. It is And you do it at a pedestrian crossing, it means nothing. But you just put your hand up in the air and you just keep walking and they, they go around you. It works, but it's frightening. But there's no road rage. There's no road rage. Graeme, you're right. You know, you do that, and, and the thing is, when we when we um, um, hit down at Denpasar or Bangkok, and, and we were in, in peak hour traffic going down to uh, Phuket, my God, it was just bumper to bumper. You're going from four lanes into two, and there was no... You know, the only dipping of the horn you'd get was to, to let you in. Yeah, I'm that, coming, and you'd get out, out the way. Yeah, no, a lot of my listeners uh, go to go to, um, go to to Bali, and they go to Denpasar and, and maybe get a hire car, a, a blue taxi or whatever, and you just close your eyes, and the traffic just merges with motorbikes, and it just works, and no one yells at each other. No one does. You're quite right. Graham, have a crack at the quickie. Um, I'd like to go... Um, Harlem Shuffle, Rolling Stones. Nah. Oh, all right. Have a good one. I'm very, very sorry. Ciao. Have a good day. If it's green and it grows, you're going to love this Swift Grow. An amazing organic fertiliser. Everyone's raving about it. Everyone's raving about it. And here is the deal, the New Year deal. Five litres of Swift Grove for just 120 bucks, free delivery anywhere. Saving of 50%. Everybody's loving Swift Grove, including people like Brendan. The way I explain it to anyone is because obviously it's not a fertiliser as such. It's like steroids for plants. Hmm. But a few things that happen which I, I still can't get my head around, and one of them is I've got roses, and not only does it make healthy roses, they smell nice, but the way that it's helped combat um, black spot. Yeah. And then apart from that, whether it be the grass, I've grown tomatoes, I've grown corn, I've got fruit trees. It does everything. That is Brendan who rang me a few weeks ago and he loves Swift Grow. And you will too. Swiftgrow.com.au, five litre bottle for 120 bucks, free delivery anywhere in Australia. If it's green and it grows, you will love Swift Grow. Got to take a break. Be back. Carmen's been waiting on. Carmen, good morning. Good morning, Luke. How are you? I'm really well. Where are you? I'm in Cairns. How did you go with the cyclone? Um, the first one was a non-event, except for the aftermath where we had so much flooding. Kiralee. And second one, oh no, Kiralee, just pretty much we just got really high winds. Yeah. And then nothing at all. Okay. All right. So it was um, it was milder than we expected, which is okay. But but yeah, look, but, Jasper wiped us out. <laughs> but look at the Jasper did. Yeah, I was on air for that. Me, me and Amy Goggins did the, were, were together. I think that morning. I think it was Jasper. But um, did your garden survive, Kiralee? 
Yes, it's flourishing. Thank you. And but, but you've had a lot of rain. What look at the rain? We, that, have, that... we didn't get as much rain with this one, so we've been pretty lucky. But look at the rain, southeast Queensland. Yeah, that's where it's hitting. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Brisbane, Gold Coast are in a bit of a mess. Bit of a mess. It's a terrible mess. <laughs> but cans can survive, Kiralee. Uh, Carmen, yeah. what what are we talking about? Now, listen. Firstly, I'm just going to go a little off topic for your. Um, name for your collection of dog poo. A, a collective um, noun. Yeah, a collective noun. Well, my dad used to always call it Barker's eggs. Barker's the eggs. Barker's eggs. Yep, an old saying. Yeah, the, bar- yet, the Barker's collection. Okay, Look but- at it, he'd always say to you, watch out, don't step in the Barker's eggs. Yeah. And it's a really old saying. And Okay, but I need a collective noun for the whole lot of it. Okay, well then. So you go to a park and there's poo everywhere. You get, you'd say there's a something such of dog poo here. Well, I mean, it's scat. Like a parliament of owls, and you know. I know what you mean. Yeah, okay. A bark is, okay. The bark is eggs. Okay, come and go. Yeah, back to topic. Um, when you were saying about enlisting juveniles into the system. Um, to try and, and combat juvenile putting- crime, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I have a son who's a captain in the army. Wow. And I can say that the army teaches them something that is completely different from the lives that they're living now. And so, I mean, first and foremostly, is it, it does fall back to the parents because children are a product of their environment and a reflection of the parents. But with society being the way it is and so many absent parents, because they've both got to work, these kids are let run riot. You know? But there's also no consequences. They commit crime after crime after crime, and they're just let back on the road again. Absolutely. And so there has to be consequences for action. And if these kids are told, one strike, two strike, third strike, you're in, well, then let it happen. That's what I'm saying. Otherwise, hit the parents financially. Because these kids are running riot and causing damage everywhere else. Hit them with their Centrelink payments and say to them, listen, if you're not going to bring these kids into line, we're going to cut your finances in the Centrelink system. And that way the parents, if you hit them financially, they're going to start taking action on bringing those kids into gear. And if they're not on Centrelink payments, find them? Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. No, enlist them. Because these kids are lacking structure. They're lacking that um, that routine that they crave, and that's what the army teaches them. So they go in as boys, and they come out as men, and they're taught all of those. And what do you do if they get to this army camp? And let's say they're a fourteen or a fifteen-year-old kid, so it's like a junior army camp, like cadets but with discipline. Yeah. What if they say, no, I don't want to get out of bed at six o'clock in the morning? What? No, I'm not going to march. No, I'm not going to do uh, physical activity. What do you say then? Well, the thing is that these these professionals in the army train them and they break them down in a in a very healthy way and get to the root of the cause. And therefore, then they find out what these kids' passions are. They gear them in the right direction and they give them that structure that they're lacking. Therefore, they can go forward and thrive and have that sense of, and it's really sad, but some of them have become so detached. Mm. But the camaraderie that's built within the forces, it gives them something back Mm. and it gives them that sense of purpose again. And therefore, they just 
they thrive. Well, it sounds like a good idea. I'd love to talk to your son one day. He can be anonymous. I'd love to talk to your son. How old is he? He's 27. 27. He's a captain in the army. Is the pay good? His wife's just become a captain as well. So. Okay. There's a couple of captains. Yeah, a couple of captains. It'd be a collection of captains. <laughs> Let's not go into those things. <laughs> a, you, you have a collection of captains. I do. Is the pay good in the army when, if, you, if you're an officer? Um, look, you're looking at the high, high 80s to 90s, I'd say. Yeah. And then you're moving up through the ranks. But, I mean, there's obviously other things along the way. And then they've got their additional um, services that they're provided, like their, their health benefits, things yeah. like that. So you've got to take a lot of other things into account. 27, and he's a captain, and his wife's a captain as well. Interesting family. I'd love to talk to them one day. Carmen, thanks for your call. You're most welcome. Thank you very much. Call back anytime. Carmen from Cairns, one triple three five three. Hi, Di. Hi, how are you going? Good. What do you got for me? So, I'll do the quickie. Yeah. I reckon it's a Living Newton John magic. No, it's oh. not. It's got a bit more oomph to it than Olivia Newton-John's magic. That was from the movie Xanadu, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's where, oh. she, where she met her husband, Matt Latanza. Yes. On, yes. Ro- on roller skates. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch it. I don't, not that I watched it. I just heard. <laughs> Never mind. But anyway, and now getting back to the news. So I'm in Mildura, which is the top of Victoria, bottom end of New South Wales. Our youth crime here is absolutely out of control. It is that we don't hear about crime in Mildura. Tell me. No. So they they have said last week that we are the most dangerous area in the country, in Victoria at the moment, and we've got a really bad name because our youth are just dangerous. I'm a security officer and I work patrolly, so I do night, um, and I'm actually seeing what is out there, and it is horrific. What, a- what, what age are we talking about? So I had a 10-year-old lad come to me and ask me for a smoke. 10. Yes. And at what time was this? This was at 10 to 10 at night. What? 10 to 10 at night? You're a security officer in Mildura. And a 10-year-old at 10 to 10 at night comes up to you and asks for a cigarette. Yep. Where was he, why wasn't he at home with his parents? Absolutely. I have no idea to this day, and I'll never work that out. And then the sister come up, and she's 14. And she was wheeling, showing me that she had your normal butter knife. So I, I just ignored her with that because if you acknowledge that, then you know things can happen. What did she that. say? What did she say? She said to me, "Well, what about a fucking sorry? I shouldn't say Careful. that. What's what your about... la- What's your language? I'll, I'll let that yeah. slip. I know you didn't mean yeah. it. So what about a card? Have you got a card? You'd have your bank card. And I went, no, no. I've got nothing. And she was wheeling around a knife in her hand, so I just ignored her. Now She, she had a say, knife? She had a knife in her hand, and and I just ignored her, and she went off and rode off on a scooter. So they're all on scooters. There was three of them. Get this one. The third one that come up to me would have been all of six years old. No. Six years old, my no, friend. No, no. Yeah. Absolutely. Then they said, oh, give us a lift to Centro. And I went, no, 
I'm not your taxi service, move on. Um, so they did. So I actually rang the police mm. and reported them, told them what they were on mm. and, you know, the young one. And this is what's happening. You know, our youth crime here is just unbelievable. And it's, yeah, it was a 10-year-old. His sister was what? Around 14. She had the knife. She threatened you with a knife. And then you had a little boy. How old? I reckon. Oh, you're guessing six. It wouldn't be much more than six or seven. Jesus. Were the three of them from the same family, do you think? I would say so, yes. Yeah, very much so. And this was at 10 to 10 o'clock at night. Whereabouts in Mildura? So in San Mario Avenue. So the corner, sort of 13th Street and San Mario Avenue. Now, I lived in that area, right? When I was married, I lived in that area for 21 years. And when I when we first moved there and bought our first house there, it was a great little area. It was terrific, you know. It, it, you know, but now I, I'm glad I'm out of that area because I wouldn't buy a house around that area. The the youth and and the danger of the youth around that area and the drug dealings that happen in that area are out of control. Out of control. A six year old, a ten year old. And a 14-year-old. Yeah. And you're threatened with a knife. Yep. Yeah. Well, she didn't actually threaten me, no. Probably not threatened, but she was showing me that she had a knife. Yeah, that's, she was threatening you. That's a threat. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Um, it's crazy. It's so just, just crazy. It is. This is Mildura. We keep hearing about Townsville, and we keep hearing about Queensland and the Gold Coast and Brisbane. This is Mildura, regional Victoria, just over the border and down a bit from New South Wales. Mildura. And this is Di, who was a security guard. This is just horrific. These kids, what's going to happen to them? I have no idea. Where's their parents? Where's their home? Absolutely. Like, are are they so detached from their parents? I mean, a lot of people say... That you know, it, it, the parents need to be accountable for it. Yes, and absolutely. I totally agree. I am a mother. I do have one son, but I've had to ghost my son. I don't have anything to do with him, and he lives on the streets of Mulder. Your, your son does too. Yeah. How old is he? He's twenty-eight. Jeez. Uh, you know, and it's the the drugs. You know, ice, ice is just. Unbelievable what's out here. Unbelievable what's out here. You know, and what can you say? I tried. I tried my darndest, mate. I did so much for my son, but in the end, I had to walk away to keep my sanity so that he wouldn't drag me down in in that shit world that they all live in. You know, um, I, I grew up with morals. I grew up, I've worked since I was 14 years old. Um, Yeah, and you just think, you do. There is parents that don't care about their kids, but there is parents that do care about their kids. But in the end, they can't do anything else but walk away because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Wow. Di, thank you so much for calling. Sorry. No worries. Thank you. You have a good night. You too, Di. You take care of yourself. Stay safe. You too. Cheers. Bye. Six-year-old, 10-year-old, 14-year-old, threatened with a knife by the 14-year-old, 10 to 10 o'clock at night in Mildura.
Dear, oh dear, oh dear. What do you say? Any thoughts? This is the night shift. The night shift on the Triple M Network. We're going to get a winner to this quickie this morning. It sounds like this. Uh, Watch Your Step is the latest cue. We know it was a hit in the 80s. We know it reached number three on the Australian charts. Watch Your Step is today's clue. That is the quickie. See if we get a winner before the sun comes up this morning. I promised you earlier, I was um, in the man cave over the weekend and our, um, was it YouTube or Spotify? I don't know, but they know my algorithm. They know the sort of music I like to listen to. And all of a sudden, a certain song came on. I thought, I haven't heard this I haven't heard this for such a long time. In fact, the last time I saw saw I saw Joe Walsh playing it live when he was with the Eagles um, in Sydney many many years ago, and I thought I've got to play this on the night shift on Triple M. Turn this up, turn it up, wherever you are, turn up your volume. This is Joe Walsh for you on Triple M. How good is he? How good is Joe Walsh? Um, yeah, I saw him live with the Eagles when they toured Australia many years ago. He's just fantastic. Um, Rocky Mountain Way here on the night shift. I promised you I'd play it and I'm a man of my word. Well, mostly. All right. When it suits me. When it suits me. Um, Jai, is it? Yeah, how you going, Luke? I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, good. I just was shot at the quickie, mate. Yes. Van Halen jump. No, it's not, but we're getting sort of in the right atmosphere. Okay, no worries, Luke. Have a night, you, you have a very, very good night. Call me tomorrow. It's, uh, look, it, it, it's got to go off today, hasn't it? Watch your step. Big hit in the 80s, number three on the Australian charts. Mark, what is it? Uh, look, I was just thinking maybe it's Kenny Loggins and Footloose. No, no. I didn't think I didn't think it was really a Triple M type of song, to be honest. Oh, this is a trip. This is a Triple M song. Yeah, no, I was no, I'm thinking foot footloose not a real oak trip. Yeah, it's a bit soft. Nah, no, I, I don't mind Kenny Loggers. Yeah, I don't mind Kenny Loggers. Not to worry. All I, good. Okay, Mark, thank you very, very much. We'll take a quick break, be back. The night shift. It's Wednesday, January thirty one, Triple M. Uh g'day, Dean. Hey mate, how you going? I'm good. Where are you? I'm just Perth. Yes, how's Perth today? Yeah, sunny as usual, mate. Yes. A lot better than the East Coast. You're in for a warm week, yeah. Yeah, nah, beautiful. Love the weather. What do you do in Perth? I drive trucks, mate. Good on you. All right, thank you for listening. That's all right, thank you. Good on you. Dean, what's up? Uh, I've just got a joke for you about the door-to-door vacuum salesman. Where, uh, good on you. The, the reason we're talking about this, and we're going to talk about it in more detail next half hour, um, Godfrey's. It's very, very sad, but Godfrey's, the iconic vacuum cleaner retail chain, is gone. It's collapsed. Yesterday afternoon, we heard the news that with the cost of living pressures blamed for fewer sales and, using their words, contributing to a challenging economic and operating environment, the business is no longer viable. Godfrey's, established in 1931, evolved to become one of the world's biggest Vacuum cleaner retailers. It's all over. It's all over as of yesterday afternoon. Sad, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, that's not the only Australian business, mate. There's a lot of them that seem to be doing that. Well, yesterday, this time yesterday, we were celebrating the fact that Sarah Lee was saved. Well, that's great because that's one of my favourite cakes. Which one's yours? Oh, the chocolate. It's got to be the chocolate. I'm going the apple pie. Ah, nah, nah, nah. Anyway, they're each to their own, but definitely got to be the chocolate cake, I reckon. Oh, the cheesecake was good. Everyone had a Sarah Lee in the freezer for a special, usually Sunday night, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been getting my son one of the Sarah Lee cake for the last 20 odd years. And Well, they're back. Mate, yep, no, that's good. They're back, baby. They're that's the way. Anyway, I, it, it, so it got me reminiscing with Thomas at the beginning of the show. Thomas would have no recollection of this, but once upon a time, you had people, usually men, uh, making a living out of selling vacuum cleaners door to door. That's right. I remember that. You do? Yeah. And they would come, and, and the most common vacuum cleaner was Hoover. And in fact, it became so popular, Hoover went from being a noun to a verb. Yeah, and you would say you didn't say you vacuumed your house; you hoovered it. Remember that? Yeah. Now, yeah. now it's all bloody. You know, here it comes again. Doesn't spend a cent with me, Dyson. And what about the Kirby's? Do you remember the Kirby's? They, they put water in them and stuff like that. They used to come out and flog them off as well. No, I don't remember them. You don't remember them? No. no. I, how did They're the, the ones they put water in there and vacuum the carpet up, and then the water's filthy black. Yeah, dirty, yeah. I remember the water being out. black. Did, did yeah. they? Did they start advertising on those late-night marketing television shows? Oh, I don't remember that. I just remember them. They'd come around to the door and giving you a full demonstration. and yeah, yeah. You, Maybe they rang you up and booked you in. I can't exactly remember, but anyway. they sold one, sold one to me mum. So. Well, okay. What's your joke? Well, all right, my joke is, all right. Is it a good is joke? A, yeah, it's a great joke. Okay. There's, a, there's this uh, young, fresh vacuum cleaner salesman. Yes. On his first day of work, and he goes to this brand new estate where they build all these new houses. He knocks on this lady's door. Lady opens the door. He jumps in the door, throws horse shit all over the carpet. She goes, what did you do that for? He goes, lady, if this vacuum cleaner doesn't pick up that horse shit, I'll eat it. She goes, oh, that's good. Do you want tomato sauce with that? Because we haven't got the power on here yet. Very good. Very good. Very good, Dean. You have a good day. And see, I've often said to you, Thomas, there's only there's only a little stairway to heaven, but there's a whole highway to hell. It shows you where most of the traffic's going. One triple three five three. Tanya, hello. How you going? Good, Tanya. You got a story for me? Yes, I have a robo vacuum cleaner. Does it work? Yeah. Does it um, run over dog shit and spread it throughout the house? Yeah, mine ran over the dog poo in the lounge room. Yes. And I did love it. It's it's good. If you're still you love have... the dog poo in the lounge room. <laughs> no, look, the vacuum, it's it's good, but you're still going to have the normal vacuum cleaner. Mm. Um, mm. But when it went all over the dog poo, of course, I tried to mend it, but you can't fix it. So I had to throw it out. So I ended up buying <laughs> Yeah, hang on. <laughs> Hang on, the robo vacuum cleaner went over the dog poo and you couldn't clean it, so you had to throw the whole vacuum out? The whole bloody thing out. You threw the whole thing out because it ran over dog poo? Yep, they couldn't fix it, so it was over $1,000. Oh. Um, I know, it was terrible. So because I love it so much, because, I mean, you still got to have the vacuum cleaner, it doesn't go around corners, but I end up getting the cheapest. They don't tell you this on the Demtel ads, do they? 
No. They don't show you the robo vacuum cleaner going over a little lumpy piece of turd and having to throw the whole thing out. Should have threw the dog out instead, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what happened was, so I got the cheaper version, what was about six hundred. Oh yeah. It, but it's not the same because the, the more the more money you spend, obviously, the better it is. So what it does, it maps it out for you. So this one just goes really nearly all over the friggin' room. But anyway, <laughs> look, they're still good, yeah. as in just doing a quick job. And it goes underneath the bed for you, so you don't have to kneel down. Yeah. Um, if you just throw it in one of the bedrooms, does it? But yeah, I still reckon they're great. But I would get, I would recommend the Robo vacuum, not all the other cheap versions. Okay, but, but make sure there's no, make sure there's no dog. No also. bloody dog poo. Exactly. You had to throw it out. Yeah, yeah. Because can you imagine all the poo was went all through underneath to every bristle. So I took, yeah, I tried to I wash can... it, but nah, it didn't oh, work. Oh no, they don't. No. And, anyway, get, and you would mind. get, and you you would get the same effect with vomit. Oh, I reckon the poo would have been worse. Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> I reckon. Anyway, if anyone's out there listening, they are good. Um, but you're gonna get the cheap. You're gonna get the dearer version. Like, oh. but you're looking over a grand now. Oh God. Yeah. So you still need the proper vacuum cleaner. No wonder Godfrey's went. Bro. All right, Tanya. Thank yep. you. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Uh, Bye. Yeah, see you, mate. Bye -bye. Bye bye. There you go. They don't tell you that at three o'clock in the morning on the Demtel ad, do they? Glenn, what's up? Hey, um, I got one for the, um, the, the, the dog poo. The... Yeah, yeah, the collective noun for you go into a park and it's everywhere. It's a park, what? With what? Full of what? I, I call it dog landmine. A landmine of poo. Yeah, if you think about it, it's definitely explodes into a mess. And... Yeah, but that's one individual. What do you call an area with a hundred in them? Like a flock of seagulls, a parliament of owls, a what of poo? Uh, a shitload. One triple three five three. Break me back. Those of you leaving me for your breakfast programs, thank you. What a ride this morning, eh? It'll be a hell of a podcast on the listener app later today. And those of you staying with me, plenty more still to come here on the night shift news headlines with James Lake coming up. The night shift around Australia on the Triple M network. Um, News headlines coming up very, very soon, uh, Wednesday, January 31. Uh, James Lake from Triple M News has all the news we're waking up to today in just a sec. Yes, it is time to look at the news that we're waking up to today, Wednesday, January 31, last day of January. And James Lake from Triple M joins us now. James, good morning to you. Very good morning, Luke. Very good morning. Fair bit to talk about this morning. The Army's got these new $13 billion armoured vehicles. It's a, in fact, it's a fleet ready to go. The trouble is uh, they may not work against those killer yeah. drones. It feels a bit like a, a, you don't want to say an oversight, but when we're spending $13 billion dollars on something. It's an oops. Yeah, it's go, oh, well, we didn't think of that one. Mm. So we've got a few different things in the pipelines. There's $5 billion worth of uh, something called boxer combat reconnaissance vehicles. We're getting 211 of those. They're not going to come equipped uh, with drone defense, even though they're worth $5 billion. Um, there's also a fleet of Abrams tanks, 75 of those coming from the US, also worth $3 billion, not ready to defend themselves against drones, which obviously uh, you know, puts Australian defense personnel at risk if they have to go into a conflict. 
Yeah, um, yeah, it is a bit of an oops. All right, so well, it's back to the drawing board or that they go back into the factory? So we're looking at options to retrofit those uh, once they, pardon me, got a cough, uh, once they get here. Yeah, all right. Um, interesting stuff. Um, Aussie cancer experts say they're a step closer to having the world's first mRNA vaccine ready to go. This is for kids with cancer. Yeah, this is for kids. So, you know, no one ever wants to find out that uh, their kid has brain cancer. But unfortunately, it's actually one of the deadliest diseases for children in Australia with very low survival rates and, and very few effective treatments. So scientists here have been working on using an mRNA vaccine to try and combat that. And they say what this technology can actually do is train the body to identify the tumour and then arm our own immune system to kind of go ahead and fight the disease. So they're really hopeful that this breakthrough can help kids. Yeah, I, we all do. Well done. Hey, listen, the car sales figures. Um, it turns out that Australians bought a record number of new and second-hand cars last year. But I think that the biggest selling cars were those big four-wheel drives. The ones that take up one and a half car, car spaces. spots at the supermarket. Actually, yes. I want to talk to you about that in just a second, but take us through these these uh, these figures. Yeah, so, you know, interesting the fact that we're always talking about the cost of living and everyone's, you know, hip pocket is, is strained right now with the cost of fuel. But you're right, used car sales up um, 2.1 million used cars changed hands last year. Uh, the peak was around November, 200,000 vehicles um being bought. And also new car sales also still reached a record high last year of 1.2 million new vehicles. So people still clearly have money to spend on buying a new set of wheels. Yeah. So these huge four-wheel drives like the the Ranger and, and the the, uh, the Toyota Hilux and all those cars, mm-hmm. um, yes, they, they take up one and a bit car spaces and it's, it causes people a lot of angst. It makes it's a lot of anger in the Ranger. If you take the R off Ranger, you get anger. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Have you missed out in the car space because there's a huge thing next to you? I've missed out on car spaces, especially when you you know you're going for school pickup in the afternoon, and you know space is limited already. You've got to get in and out around really large vehicles that actually seem unnecessary, right? You're looking at someone putting a five or a six year old in this car. It's not dirty. It's never left the road. It hasn't got tools in the back. You wonder why families are buying them. I know. But, yeah. I mean, you see them everywhere. The Ford Ranger, the Toyota Hilux, and the Isuzu D-Max. Now, I think they were the three top cars, um, and they take up huge, huge spaces. And if you look back, you know, even 10 years ago, these vehicles that were out, Luke, they weren't this size at all. They were much smaller. You know, tradies used to just have a ute with a tray on the back. They didn't actually need a tank. Yeah, I know. But the thing is, electric vehicles are taking over, but there isn't an electric version of the Hilux or the Ranger yet that does the workload and can last the distance and has the horsepower. Uh, I think they're yet to perfect an electric-type Ranger, aren't they? It'd need, a, it'd need a pretty big battery if you want to be uh, yeah, carrying a big load. Yeah, anyway, there you are. I'd, I'd love to hear from our, our listeners. The, these huge vehicles that take up over one standard car space whether it be where you park for work or at your local shopping centre, um, should there should the spaces be wider, or should these cars be paying more to use the car spaces? What do you think? I'd love to hear from you. Uh, send me an email, um, nightshift at au. Now the inflation figures are out today, and so too yesterday the uh, December retail figures. Interesting, aren't they? 
Yeah, the figures, are, you know, you would probably think they are promising if you've got a mortgage right now. The inflation report out today is expected to show that the annual growth actually fell 4.2% in December's quarter. Uh, now, that's not the exact figure. We don't know the exact figure until that comes out, but that's the estimate right now. Now, as you mentioned, it comes after yesterday, the retail sales figures also came out showing that sales went down 2.7% for December. Of course, Christmas sales, Boxing Day sales, um, you know, the shops were much quieter than people would expect at that time of year, considering that that's when retailers want to make most of their money. It looks like people either spent up big in November they did. or they didn't really spend at all. Well, they did because this uh, November was up and that's Black Friday. And this is this American thing that the world has embraced. But yeah. to be off the pace by 2.7, that is massive. I mean, that's, that, that's bigger than, uh, than COVID uh, when you couldn't go to the shops. So it obviously um, Australian shoppers now do like to shop online. And this Black Friday phenomenon, which is the end of November, it's taken off. Did, did you buy on Black Friday? I, I didn't actually, Luke. I should have. Um, actually, no, no, I lie. I bought a vacuum cleaner. Ah, I did buy a vacuum cleaner because there, my wife found a Dyson half price and said we need that. There you are, a Dyson. See, we're talking this morning about Godfrey, which has gone under. It's gone into voluntary uh, receivership yesterday afternoon. Very sad. Started in 1931. Hundreds of jobs are now at loss. And Godfrey is where Australians used to buy their vacuum cleaners. But you bought a Dyson. And this is what we were talking about that this morning. You bought it because why? It was uh, the half, brand name and, and the was, half price. And it was half price. There you go. Yeah. Do I remember the Godfrey ads where they uh, picked up a bowling ball with a vacuum cleaner. And that's right. And lots of people, particularly people whose houses were littered with bowling balls, <laughs> that it, they, they honed in on that market. And they did it very, very well. But obviously, Australians have decluttered their houses of bowling balls, and now Godfrey's are feeling the pinch. You have a good day. Thank you, Luke. It's all right. That's what I'm here for. It's the night shift. I'll catch you tomorrow. Today's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. Wednesday's who else to be? Tuesday Monday is most your day. Is everybody happy? You bet your life we are.